0: Hello and welcome to Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that is definitely by far 100% on the ground, man. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and when
1: when you come at me, man, you need to be polite and show class.
2: And I'm Mike Bloom and I'm smiling now.
0: <laughs> and and we're here to uh continue our uh examination of Survivor Guatemala, a season that is uh not talked about much in the survivor world so it's always fun to get into these middle episodes where a lot of stuff is about to happen in this season and uh as we did in part one i'm going to take a step out of the spotlight and turn it right over to our temp mike bloom who will be leading you the rest of the way so it's all yours mike Mario's not
1: actually stepping out of yeah. the spotlight. That's that's just semantics for all of us. But uh, you know, we'll 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 continue the charade. Go ahead, Mike.
2: I was just saying, cue the sound effects of like the door slamming and walking down the stairs and a car <laughs> starting. Uh, before we really jump into it, there is one thing that I did want to bring up that was mentioned by a couple of listeners. And I actually remember hearing this story before we recorded the Guatemala podcast. I just forgot all the details about it but it concerns the men in the first episode uh the edit kind of shows that it was the heat and the big trek that that took out a lot of the men physically but it turns out that there was also another reason why and apparently with each camp came two jugs of water and one was for you know regular hydration water use to drink and the other one was for washing you know washing clothes washing a bunch of things and I, I guess on day two or so, uh, Judd mixed up the uses for these pots and basically made the men drink out of the cleaning water, which apparently was a big reason why they became sick. And it also kind of led to Judd becoming an outcast, which comes into play in episode four. And we'll see a little bit here in episode five when he talks about how much, you know, he never was really gelled with Nakum to, to begin with. So I, that was a, that's, that's a fun story that we didn't get to touch upon, but I'm... Uh, I'm happy to mention it just because it leads to it's it's more great Judd antics and the, and the world needs more Judd antics in their lives.
0: That's good. This is the part where Judd would start a big argument just to detract, take the attention off of him, and just start a big fight. So good thing Judd is not here.
1: One other uh, thing I want to uh, retract, really, quick, or not retract, but correct uh, that was pointed out to me again when we were talking about the one uh, the one challenge where they're throwing the the whirling axes, and I said, how come Gary didn't go because Gary was totally on the winning team and uh i got the tribes mixed up but i'm actually kind of glad because we were talking about how confusing that tribe swap was yeah and the fact yeah. that like i i watched the episode wrote it down on notes and still got it wrong to make a joke sort of solidifies the point so you know sorry about that yeah gary couldn't throw the uh the whirling axes for stephanie's team but you know whatever
0: it must have been so, under inflated that's right exactly so uh let's topical humor yeah hey wait a minute i i got something i gotta retract too give me a chance okay sounds good this is the retracting (laughs) section yeah i'm going to retract our comments a lot of people had mentioned this in our uh feedback that we pointed out that we said brandon was antisocial and that perhaps was not that was not the right word to describe brandon and i i totally agree with that antisocial is not the right word to describe Brandon. i say maybe standoffish or kind of Kind of uh, Not disinterested, but kind of like that where he just kind of wasn't really fully invested in some of the social politics of the rest of the tribe. It's not really antisocial, but yeah, it's just he's got a definite style where he just kind of talks slower. He's not as, as verbose as some of the other players. He, you can see he's not there ta- chatting with them every minute of the day like some of them, like Stephanie. So, again, not antisocial, but we we were trying to make a point about Brandon, which is why he didn't really fit in maybe with some of the others, and that's antisocial is the closest word we could come up with.
1: It's the close word, and I'll defend it somewhat. I don't... I I, I get where people are coming from, and I totally understand it. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about Brandon in this episode, and I will uh, sort of go more into what I'm talking about, but with with sort of the sentiments, I, I guess the word's not right, and I think Brandon is awesome, by the way. I think we sung his praises, and I think we're going to continue to do so in this podcast. But there are... I have hesitations with you know, people saying, well, you know, he really could have gone all the way and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, in theory, a lot of people that play the game can go all the way. But I think that he there are some things about him that are just hurdles to winning the game. And we'll talk about those when we get there.
2: Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see, especially in this episode that, you know, Brandon, is, uh, he's definitely a fun character, but he might not be the best uh, strategist or in terms of, and we'll see in him in comparison to Bobby John, he almost seems like a, a Bobby John 1.0 in terms of his <laughs> strategic mind.
1: <laughs> oh, Bobby John.
2: Okay. Uh, we're, so, uh, you know, we're, we're getting like into Fox news territory with all the corrections we're issuing right now. Uh, but let's, uh, let's but, but jump. Way
1: less attractive.
2: For now. For now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's jump into episode five. And, uh, you know, we get back to new Nakum's camp. And this is, I, I wouldn't call it a falling out after Judd's big betrayal, since it really isn't a falling out. You'd think that, you know, Judd and Margaret would really get into it. And they, they kind of do a little bit in the next episode. But Margaret is just kind of... I wouldn't, I wouldn't say given up, but I think she's given up arguing with Judd, so it's really just a one-sided argument with Judd trying to half acidly plead his case and Margaret saying, okay, that makes sense. I, yeah, I can and, see that.
0: <laughs> let's just point out for the people who may may listen, be, maybe there's a gap between when you listen to Part 1 and Part 2. We're right after Brooke has been voted out and Judd has turned on his old tribesmates.
1: Yeah, the tribe has switched, and this was, it was the first tribal council right after the switch. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And... uh yeah, so so Judd has flipped, and you know what, what isn't really this, – this is one of those where Guatemala is an interesting season to watch because as we've said numerous times on this podcast, I'm not covering new ground here. But there's Survivor the game that happens out there on the island, and there's Survivor the TV show that is presented to us, the viewers. Sometimes those things gel. A lot of the times they do not. And so I think that Guatemala is a season where a lot of stuff is happening out there with the actual game – that isn't translated story-wise to what we are watching. And part of it is, you know, and and they sort of touch on it. And if you really look, I think this is something that you can see. But Judd on his original tribe did not really gel with everyone. And it probably is because my what Mike said just a little bit ago, that he fed them the wrong water as they were hiking (laughs) into camp. And they sort of made him on an outside. But you saw when they switched tribes that Judd was just like, hey, man. I'm way happier over here, man. I like the Steph, and I like all this sort of stuff that's going on, man. So, damn, man, what's your problem, man? And it's like he's now flipping, but it's like, you know, Mark, it's like you just turned on your old tribe, but Judd felt on the outs with his old tribe, and now he's got a better deal.
0: That's right. You can talk about Jersey stuff with Stephanie.
2: Yeah, exactly. They, they must have bonded over all that Jersey stuff.
0: <laughs> it's like Harlem stuff, just a little more Italian. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So uh, so we cut to the next morning, and Jay, would you say this is Blake's GG confessional about how, you know, he's like, I got a good chance of going far into the game, and I trust uh, all my former tribe mates? Th- th-
1: this, is, this is the first of many GG calls from Blake. This episode is just one giant gigantic GG, which is, you know, I mean, he talked about DD a little bit later. But yes, um, Blake has a lot of very fist-in-mouth confessionals in this episode. It's It's really good.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I think they probably cut around the uh, 10 minutes of Blake's stories about all the times he got drunk down
0: in Florida.
1: Just You're like not- just like
0: you, Mario, right? All your stories about getting <laughs> drunk down in Florida? You just heard all my stories. That was that awkward pause. <laughs> I was trying to think of one one story.
2: <laughs> Those are the fanfics that ended up on the cutting room floor, right? <laughs> yes.
0: Because you know, if there's one type of uh, story that's going to endear yourself to the you know mostly young gay survivor audience, it's the the jock talking about all the girls with huge breasts he has nailed. That's why <laughs> he was a huge it. fan favorite.
2: Exactly, as big of a favorite as Je- as Jeff Wilson, absolutely. <laughs> yes. So this is a this is a fun scene we have here at New Yashah. This is a, again we don't really touch on this too much in Modern Survivor, but we have some some key character scenes here. Specifically, uh, it seems like there's a regional disparity going on on new shah versus you know it ends up there ends up being a lot of uh middle america and southern america castaways on the same tribe namely bobby john and brandon and danny and uh, you know gary is gary's a little bit of you know middle america as well and then you have brian the city boy and you have amy the the boston cop so that's there's a, a couple of little moments here about like you know amy being a city slicker and you know she's uh she's i think she's asking questions about like brandon what brandon does to to farm for wheat which is a a a fun i can't imagine being in on that conversation uh and then we get to the religion stuff which is always a fun topic on survivor
0: yeah what's interesting about this whole scene is like this is very much a first season type exchange with people from different parts of the country just highlighting their differences so it's kind of an old school thing it it it's I don't know it's it's it it makes sense in the context of this episode because they kind of point out that Blake gets voted out later because he doesn't fit in but it it feels very old school for to show up in Guatemala it doesn't really it's not how they really usually presented uh, character scenes around that era
2: yeah it's a little weird to me because uh, actually up until this point there really haven't been that many character scenes I feel like even on like the the tribe of Nakum in general, the only thing we've really seen of them up to this point was like them reacting to their environment. There weren't really that many scenes of, you know, people talking about themselves in the game or like even, you know, having conversations, as weird as that may sound. So I'm happy to get it now, but I think it's, uh this is, again, this is a, an episode that kind of separates itself from the first bunch uh, just because I feel like, The first four episodes are kind of edited in a a different way, and this actually takes time for us to get to know people, which, you know, I always enjoy in the game of Survivor. But I totally agree. It it feels out of place, but out of place in a good way.
1: Yeah, going back on this episode, I love this episode. Um, You know, it's always fun to have a a schadenfreude episode in there every once in a while, because this episode is very much a character assassination of Blake. You know, and they take time out from that, just as the scene that we're talking about, where Brian is sort of discussing... Uh, religion and and you see the sort of the southern uh, good old boys talking about farm implementations and you hear like in the background as someone's giving it like yeah i like the john deere but you know you just you hear that sort of stuff going on and you're right mike i think that maybe the thing is when i went back and and as i'm watching this season it feels very modern like a sort of like a modern uh, season of survivor not totally but this one seems like a very character-paced episode it's just one of those one-offs where you know, yeah we're having a lot of stuff with blake but they're they're showing us a lot of things with camp life and i think it's just due to the fact that a a lot of what's going to go forward in the rest of the game is sort of based off the new tribes and b maybe a lot of that stuff in the beginning of the game like we said they were just all s- super wiped out from their hike and they were all just trying to you know not die
0: I will say the one thing that I noticed, and I remember when I I noticed this when I first watched it, and then I I noticed it again during my rewatch, is that when they would have uh, uh, presented things like this in the early seasons, where it's like regional differences, they would have done it very even-handedly, where one's not better than the other one. It seems like a very deliberate effort in this episode to point out, out that the Blue State people, like Brian and Amy, like, don't really take the red state people seriously. It's 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 kind of judgmental in a way, like Brian's whole little speech, like, I'm a little too blue state for this crap and like, oh I don't believe in Jesus. Like, yeah, I'm not gonna give thanks to like it's it's kind of judgmental in a way that the earlier seasons wouldn't have done. And that's maybe one of the reasons i I'm, I'm not fond of kind of this scene as much as you guys are. It's it seems very one sided in a way.
2: I I could see that, but I don't know. It's tough because I I think uh it helps that Amy is such uh, a, f- a fan favorite type of figure. Uh, and she'll become to to be one specifically, you know, over the next few episodes. But I don't know. I, I feel like the rest, the whole y- Yasha tribe in general is portrayed in such a positive light. But I think that, b- that Brian and his edit kind of stick out like a sore thumb with that. After we yeah. see Brian go, it's going to become such a unified front of like new Yasha are the good guys and new Nakum are the bad guys. So, you know, and maybe they're just proving that Brian... They're showing from the outset that Brian is the outlier of this tribe.
0: It could be. If you want to see it that way, and I just... The way I look at it is that Brian was a, just a big, huge fan favorite at the time. Lots of people loved him. They related to him. He was the super fan. He was the outspoken one. And just little moments like uh, Blake saying he wants to go home and buy cowboy boots with his money. And Brian's like, oh my god, people buy cowboy boots? And it's just... It seems out of place because, like you said, Brian sticks out like a sore thumb. He's a sore thumb. He's getting kind of way too much attention for his opinions when he's really a minor character that's one thing that i guess i guess i'm trying to say
1: brian's edit does stick out that's something that i think we can sort of talk about is that i feel like every time we get a scene where there's a lot of brian it feels very inserted into into the thing And i think it's because like you said he's 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 sort of a minor player in the whole cogs of this machine like what have we seen of him so far he orchestrated Lydia not going home in that booth, but really he didn't do it. He just, you know, he he was part of it, but then he tried to take full credit and it didn't even seem very genuine then. And, you know, every time it kind of goes, you see Brian trying to do things and yet failing to do things for the most part or not relating to the people as this scene shows.
0: Yeah, he's just a weird character in general. He doesn't really fit into any of the storylines of this season, yet he's there all the time.
2: Yeah, and we'll speak to that a little bit next episode as well because it's one of those weird edits that happen sometime on Survivor where they get this edit that looks like they're this you know big strategic player and they're going to go far, but he fizzles out pretty early on in the in the whole spectrum of the game. So it's, he's, a, he's a character, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more. But let's, uh, let's jump to this reward challenge, a.k.a. Nakum just watches Yasha do the challenge.
1: Yeah, basically. This could be <laughs> one of the coolest... Challenges of all time, and by cool I mean this is—I mean—is this the most lopsided challenge that's ever been run in Survivor history?
2: I would say uh, I would, yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe there were probably a couple things in Gabon that were pretty lopsided. Uh, as yeah, yeah, well. yeah.
0: That's true. I would say it's the most lopsided challenge that does not involve Sandra. How about
2: that? <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, so to recap this challenge, it's a it's a multi stage challenge. Basically, one person cuts through a rope with a sharp stone because you know authentic maya uh, and then the next one is to chop through a log to release a rope and then uh four people crank this turnstile to haul this big wooden cart up the hill then uh the four the four, everyone who's done something in the challenge so far hops into the cart and then that leaves one person in the uh the lydia torch roll to <laughs> chop the rope and it sends the wooden cart careening downhill into this big uh pile of dirt, but as we just alluded to, uh, (laughs) Nakum barely gets a chance on it because uh, of two inciting factors. First, Brandon just goes to town on the rope he hacks through it with this slightly sharp stone uh which gets Nakum, which gets he far ahead and two is Nakum, uh which has jamie on it and as jay alluded to in our last podcast jamie is as is surprisingly not the best person in challenges and he is uh very meticulously sawing at the rope with the stone and i think he he finishes just as uh just as yasha ends up finishing the whole challenge
0: yeah, and this is uh, known in Survivor history as the Brandon Bellinger Memorial Challenge. Oh my gosh. Which is, which is amazing because Brandon's not actually dead, but it's still a memorial challenge. But yeah, this is this is Brandon's shining moment in Survivor, this challenge.
1: This is a funny scene when you just look back at it. Like, I, I, I encourage everyone to kind of go back. It's just very funny how they set it up because it's this really intricate challenge with big set pieces. And don't worry, folks, we'll see that rickety minecart thing again. But like, it's just, you got all these sort of steps, and we need a name, by the way. As I'm going, we need a name for the for the role that Lydia has taken over. Like the the one person gets to do the one really easy. Is, is this like the Scout Cloud Lee Memorial? <laughs> a role? role, like you know. Hey, just just cut the rope at the end, like you know. And it's not even that hard. Like you just have to flip a switch. And so yeah, the whole thing is is that like at the beginning, Jamie's sort of sawing away with his sharp stone at this rope that he has to untie and it's one of those thick sort of ropes i mean brandon literally takes the rock and just starts hacking at it with like his entire body as he's throwing it into the stone and this rope and basically brandon i mean i don't know what the actual time was but of course we watching the television product brandon hacks through those ropes in what could have been like 30 seconds yeah you know he just chops through those things super fast and they're on to the next phase and Jamie's still sawing and sawing and sawing and he's still sawing. And it's really funny because, you know, sometimes they try to bait, you know, us with that sort of like false tension of, oh, it's really close. But this one, Jeff Probst is like,
0: well, yeah, Yasha. <laughs> well, yeah, Yasha finishes like what? All four legs of the challenge before Jamie even finishes the first one.
2: Yeah, and this is where we're going to get to see a fun moment from Jamie, and we'll see it throughout mm-hmm. uh, a couple challenges in, into the future, where Jamie refuses to not finish the challenge, even <laughs> if they're way behind. So as as uh, Yasha goes careening down the hill, and obviously you know Bobby Johns sticking his legs in the air, and Stephanie will have more <laughs> comments about that later. But as Yashah wins the challenge, Jamie you know affirms to his tribe, like he tries to rally him, saying like, "All right, let's let's finish it off." Let's keep going, but, I mean, if you're on a tribe with, with S- Stephanie and Judd, these beacons of sunshine, you know that they are not going to to want to finish that challenge anytime soon.
0: It's, well, maybe that was Jamie's tribute to Stephanie, because he had so much heart, he was not going to give up. He had so much <laughs> heart.
1: Yeah, we need, to, we need to talk again. Yes, Bobby John yelling at the top of his lungs on the minecart, going down with his legs just absolutely sticking in the air, you know, and stuff like that. This is important for later on stuff, but yeah he says like hey guys let's finish but i feel like okay we did have a challenge in survivor history where the challenge ended and then jeff probst went back and admitted a mistake and they had to continue and that was that word puzzle challenge Mm -hmm. yeah but like that was just jeff probst messing up on a thing like i i feel like when jeff probst raises his hands and says you know this tribe wins immunity like the challenge is over right Yeah, I mean, Bobby John's already
0: celebrating. That's a good enough sign.
1: He's already celebrating. It's a good enough sign. You know, I know that, you know, people watch The Amazing Race, and, you know, sometimes with The Amazing Race, people do a task, and then they go on, and then, you know, they get to the finish mat, and Phil's like, you did this thing. However, you cheated, like, 48 hours ago on this one challenge, so you have to sit over here for a penalty, and, and there's always, like, weird time things in The Amazing Race. I feel like in Survivor, when Jeff Probst calls it, it's done. And so I can understand if you're on The Amazing Race or something where you're like, let's finish something out because you never know if there's a time penalty added or something like that. But it doesn't work on this show. So like when Jeff Probst says, this tribe wins immunity, it's like,
0: it's done. Conserve your energy. Challenge is over. Yeah. Fun- I, I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, what's funny is if they had assessed a 30-minute penalty to Yasha, they still would have won. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's true. That's very true. I was going to say that I, I, I wonder if Jamie takes this motto like to every competition he's ever been in like could you imagine Jamie in like little league like they lose the game you know <laughs> 6 innings are over but Jamie's like hitting still hitting baseballs and running around the bases saying like we got to finish it out guys we got to finish it out <laughs>
1: Yeah, does, does he get mad at baseball when, like, you know, if, if the home team's winning in the top of the ninth and, you know, they, they win the game? Does he, does he like, insist that they go up at bat?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: we you never know what's going to
0: happen in those three outs. <laughs> Let's finish it out, guys. Come on. So, now, we are uh, going to talk about one of the coolest rewards that anybody has ever won on Survivor, right?
2: Yeah, I was going to say, this is, the, this is probably the, the best reward of the season by far, which is a crocodile-proof i guess i'll put swimming pool in quotes because basically they just built a structure and they're putting it in the lake uh and it's it's covered with some sort of net uh a net that's fine enough to keep out the crocodiles but i mean they before the challenge jeff talks talks to them about their water situation and how you know the the things that sucks about it is that they they're you know it's 140 degrees out in guatemala but they can't go in the water because the crocodiles will eat them or you just decide to be stupid like Nakum that one time and just go in the water anyway. But this is an opportunity for them to actually have a place to go and cool off. And this this uh, particular incarnation of it complete c- comes complete with uh, mojitos, I think, or margaritas and guac. Come on, Mike. It's yeah, what goes, what goes with guac? Margaritas.
0: What goes with guac and chips? That's true. That's true. <laughs> margaritas, baby, come get your margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is one of those things. You know, they have that floating you know floating swim cage at camp. Why would they ever leave that? I'm just curious why they ever left that. Oh, my God. I was thinking the same
1: thing. Like, they have this whole sequence, and it's the next sequence where they're all out there on the the deck enjoying the chips and guac and and swimming in the pool. And I get that there's chips and guac, which aren't going to be there all the time. But then they're, like, in the water, and they're talking about how heavenly it is to be in the water and how wonderful it is to be in the water. And then, like, they're in there for a segment, and then they're back at camp. And I'm like, why why did you leave?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Is there some contractual obligation that they were required to walk around every couple hours? Get some yep. palm fronds and put it over that thing, and now you're covered.
2: No, they actually have a, an off-screen lifeguard that uh, <laughs> says, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kid swim time, so you guys got to get out of the pool.
1: <laughs> you got to get out. It's my break. I have to re-zink.
0: <laughs> All right, we, uh, we can't gloss over the end of this challenge with Bobby John celebrating. I do have to mention that one more time. Yes. <laughs> For, well, Bobby John, you know, putting his legs in the air, very southern gentlemanly, by the way. So, the, it's we, so, a lot of class, a lot of class. A lot of class, yeah. So, anyway, this is Bobby John. He gets so gay, as he always does. But there's another little moment where Jeff announces that Nakum wins and they're going to get the swim cage. And Bobby, or er, y- Bobby John does this little celebration move where he whinnies like a horse and thrusts his fists <laughs> into the air, which is another classic Bobby John moment.
2: Uh, I love it. The, the, equest- <laughs> the always equestrian Bobby John. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes, he's going to go play some polo after this.
1: It's, <laughs> it's very It's very funny because Bobby John spent all of Survivor Palau losing challenges, and even when they won a challenge, it was just kind of like, "Oh holy crap, we won a challenge finally, and we get a little bit of food because it was it, the the few challenges that oolong won were all reward challenges, but it's like here on Survivor Guatemala, both he and Stephanie have won some challenges. Bobby John has done a little bit better at this point, but you know tide tides will turn and all that sort of stuff, but Bobby John has won some challenges, and it's just like. Well, now we know what happens when Bobby John wins things. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: yes. And again, this is where the whole Bobby John versus Jamie feud starts. It's right here. Yes,
1: it's right here. And note who acts like an ass first. It's Bobby exactly. John.
0: Yeah,
2: we'll we'll forget we'll forget about that in a few episodes when the edit really piles on how much of an asshole Jamie is. But let's let's bookmark this moment to remember when what when was the assassination
0: of Franz Ferdinand in terms of the Bobby John versus Jamie rivalry? <laughs> this is it. Yeah. So, uh, what I was going to say is that. What's interesting is I, I mentioned in part one of the podcast that Jamie has a really up and down complex edit in the season. And what's interesting is I completely forgotten about this until I went back and rewatched that we go back to, you know, ap- after this challenge, the whole story is Jamie's down in the dumps. Jamie can't win. He's let down his tribe. It's like he needs a redemption story now. It's, I'd completely forgotten he had that. Yeah. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there and get him next time. Sort yeah. of thing. I'm yeah. going to put my legs in the air next time.
2: So, in addition to that, we also get some more, you know, stellar smile moments from uh, Judd and Steph. Uh, I think Judd's moment is like Cindy makes an offhand comment that, like, you know, she saw Brandon chop the rope like that back in camp, and then Judd bitches at her that, like, if she if she knew how to do it, she should have it, done it herself and stepped up. Uh, which, you know, always always classic Judd, as Margaret puts it. Uh, <laughs> but then Steph has her one of her infamous moments of. Survivor Guatemala when she complains that Bobby John was cheering like a freaking girl and uh, gives us the, the amazing timely quote he's gay he just gets so gay
1: <laughs>
0: America's sweetheart ladies and gentlemen
1: I like how you like read that back like a court stenographer that was money right there
2: <laughs> this is the, uh, the Survivor Historian versus Stephanie LaGrosa the court case that will change Survivor history forever <laughs> bum bum
0: I know, I know. It's fun to pile. I mean, everyone in the Survivor fan base piles on Stephanie. I love her because she's so raw and unrefined. I mean, that's an exact quote that I would expect to come out of Stephanie's mouth.
2: And it, yeah, and it, it's a complete definition of raw and undefined because it goes right from that moment into like this whole confessional about her saying, "Like, I feel like I'm in a bad dream and I just can't wake up." It's just like, yeah. man, Steph, you are you are playing this card
0: up so much. <laughs> I have so much heart. Why do bad things happen to me? I'm such a good person. God damn it, Bobby John is a homo. <laughs> I, I
1: I like Stephanie. And what's funny is that going back, I mean, I remember live. This is a really interesting rewatch for me. I know that I've just rambled on for a little bit, but... Nowadays, when I watch seasons of Survivor, I, I think, you know, probably because I've watched so much Survivor and, you know, all that sort of stuff, I, I find myself not really rooting for characters anymore. And I think that's a bad thing. That's 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 a flaw that I have personally. But usually I'm just rooting for a good story. I'm just rooting for, you know, good things to sort of happen around me. But, you know, back when I was watching Survivor Guatemala, I was definitely rooting for characters. And I was a big Stephanie fan coming out of Palau. I think most of us were. Um, but at this point, I, I found myself not necessarily turning on Stephanie yet but like very casually they are starting to sort of slip in the things and, and it's right around here like stephanie has this 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 confessional where she's like i just we keep losing i keep i mean keep on getting on tribes and we're losing i feel like i'm in a bad dream and i'm just kind of sitting there going like you know steph it's happening around you a lot
0: <laughs> yep
1: maybe it's you you know and and it's what's fun is that she's she always sort of tells you exactly what's on her mind. And I appreciate that so much about Stephanie and she has so many great character moments to come, even in survivor Survivor Guatemala here. But it's funny because she has, I think a lot of good perspective about things around here, but then she also has things around her that she clearly has no perspective on. And so I think it's a fun dichotomy.
0: Yeah. And again, we just can't reiterate enough that she was basically Rupert going into the season. I mean, that's how popular and beloved with zero flaws there were in her character. That's, she was Rupert, so it's just amazing when you think about the the downswing. Her character has to happen, has to happen all of a sudden.
2: Yeah, it's it's weird, and I, I I actually think part of that is because of the people she's around, which is which is weird to say, but I feel like Palau, the circumstances kind of informed her negativity in a way. You know, she's like, oh, Steph, you know, Stephanie, you have every reason to be sad about this because your tribe keeps losing every challenge. But like, I would say their tribe is horrible and, and for the next few episodes they are actually going to go on like a winning streak but i think it's her being in an alliance with people like judd and people like jamie that just drags all three of them down 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 and i know i'm going to cath- quote kathy again but into this like core of hatred like these three and even rewatching these episodes these three get pretty nasty edits for the next big block of episodes right. uh so uh, so i think stephanie is definitely hurt by the people she keeps with
0: yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Stephanie was never as good as people thought she was in Palau. She's not as bad as you think she is in Guatemala. She's just a normal person with, with pros and cons. But yeah, she gets run through the ringer here. Although, I should point out, like Mike said, Judd and Jamie get a way worse at the next couple episodes. It's not the Stephanie is Horrible show. She's actually gets the more benign edit of the three of them.
1: Stephanie does herself no favors with the way that she's going to play, especially post-merge, which we're not really going to even get into very much in this episode of Survivor Historians, but I agree with you. She's not as bad a Survivor player as people say she is. She's clearly not all that great, but I think that what you sort of have to do and I guess I'm spoiling and letting the cat out of the bag you hear people talk about it every once in a while and they haven't talked about it yet but they will in certain upcoming episodes but you sort of have to get into your head Stephanie is never going to win Survivor Guatemala. They are not going to let her win and if you accept that fact and just go with the rest of this, you can put her edit into perspective. You can put ha- you know, how she is and where she is into perspective. It just actually makes viewing Stephanie in Star of Guatemala a whole ton easier if you just go with that fact and then just approach it.
0: One thing I wanted to mention here, because this is a good time to, to mention, is, is I, uh, this is something I asked Rafe about a long time ago. I'm like, as a viewer of Guatemala, how do I reconcile... Stephanie is so beloved and everyone loves her at the start with Stephanie has no friends and no one respects her at the end. How is a viewer? Do I reconcile that? Because it's like there's two different versions of her. There's two stories of Stephanie. And he said the way he explained it was really good. He said, well, you have to remember the people that they showed that love Stephanie, you know, the Brooke, the uh, the 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 Brianna, the, uh... the Morgan. None of them were significant to the season. They were all gone early, most of them. So, like, like uh, Morgan, Brianna, those they had nothing to do with the season. So they're gone. After that, the only people Stephanie was close to were Judd and Jamie. Although, what happens is we're gonna—I mean, if you haven't seen the season, I'm going to drop some spoilers. But Stephanie is directly responsible for backstabbing both of them. And Jen Rape said, and she—they totally blamed her for the whole thing. So. That's why the story of Stephanie appears different because the people that loved her were gone and disappeared, and the people she made friends with later, she completely backstabbed, and they hated her because of it. So that's how you can reconcile the two versions of Stephanie in this in this season.
1: Yeah, like I said, she does she she gives herself no favors. You know, it's not like someone can say, "Well, she played this flawless game," but they didn't hand her the game because she was returning, and they had a thing against the people returning. It was like they had a thing against the people returning. And also, Steph did a lot of really bad things in the game.
0: She did.
2: So speaking of uh, not-so-positive edits, let's move on to Blake. <laughs> uh, because this is, this is the real introduction of the Golden Boy trope that Amy sings songs while Blake is sleeping soundly in this shelter during this big downpour. And this is when we get the introduction also to, the, to Brian's big uh, Bait Blake plan.
0: Yes. Once again, here was Brian taking complete uh, ownership of all the narrative that he's responsible for everything. That's a Brian trademark.
1: Right. But <laughs> but I think that this is semi-clever in the fact that, you know, Blake is telling these outlander stories that clearly are not falling well on the, the viewership. Like, you know, Danny's had a confessional where she's like, ah, oh, he's just this frat boy and I don't really, you know like that sort of frat boy mentality and stuff like that. I mean, Brian's just like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep asking him to tell stories and he can't stop telling stories. And, you know, he has the, yeah, the very famous confessional of, I have a game called bait Blake. He's digging himself a hole and I'm just going to make sure he has a shovel, which is a really good soundbite. And, and, you know, props to Brian for doing so. But again, you know, I think that Blake has, was digging his hole already. Yeah. You know, Hey, help uh, him do
0: it. I was going to say, what's interesting is on Brian's early show a couple shows down the road, they asked, it's on the DVD, anybody can see this, the lady, uh, the interviewer asked Brian, so you really got Blake out with that bait Blake stuff? And Brian said, well, no, actually, I think Gary and uh, Danny had more to do that with me, but in the episode, it looked like I had more to do with it. So even he will admit that he really didn't have that much to do with it. Blake was already going down that path.
2: Yeah, part of me just thinks, as Jay said, it was probably because of the soundbite and because of this whole story they're the editors are trying to perceive of like brian is this big underdog and he's he's on the you know the outskirts of the tribe ever since the switch uh I, it makes for a more interesting story though it makes for a more incorrect story and i but i i, I also love i mean I, you know we always talk about how much we love brandon i love his response during one of these scenes when you know i think blake does like a round table question of like are you a you know, are you into big boobs or big ass? And uh, he poses the question to Brandon and Brandon just like looks at him and he goes, what, novelty size boobs? Is that what you're asking me about?
0: <laughs> yeah. There you go. Classic, the, right there, the difference between Brandon and Blake as characters.
2: So let's jump, from, uh, let's jump from some interesting talk with Blake to some interesting talk about another weird Survivor character, character, Lydia. This is like the biggest moment she's had in the first five episodes and that she'll have for like the next five episodes. Uh, this is where Lydia decides she wants to, to rile up the team spirit and she does, uh, she does some dancing, she does some singing, she does some pancake flipping. She was just glad that she was on a boat with Willard or he would have hit her with an oar.
0: Yes. But yeah, this is one of those scenes that when people when you talk about Lydia, if Survivor fans remember her at all, it's because of this scene. This is all they ever remember that Lydia does the pancake dance. So, this is her uh shining moment in Survivor Guatemala.
2: I'm just surprised that, you know, Jamie or and Judd and Stephanie even smile at this because I would think that they'd be the absolute worst audience. Like I'm sure Judd would if Judd had a basket of tomatoes, I would not be surprised if he was just hurling them at her and like heckling her the entire time but no they stay surprisingly mum
0: yeah that that speaks a lot towards lydia's social game and that even judd refuses to trash her
1: yeah (laughs) i mean i think it's it's all about where you are with your audience i think people liked lydia before you know she she's gonna get some moments here and there but i think a lot of the lydia moments you know going forward is just lydia is bad at challenges and that's sort of what we get and we sort of know that But you also see shots of Lydia working really hard around camp and being very positive and not being very schemey and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I think people are just like, as long as she's on our team, you know, we like Lydia. She's nice. And it's like because they like Lydia and she's nice, then she's like doing these super motivational I'm going to do the pancake dance and get everyone to laugh and I think that people are receptive to that whereas you know if you're not that character you know if Jamie gets up and tries to do that people are going to be like what's going on there buddy? Uh,
2: If if Jamie got up and did the pancake dance he would make everyone stay until he finished the pancake (laughs) dance.
0: You will wait (laughs) until I am finished with the pancake dance. (laughs) How you doing Bobby John and what's it like having no pancakes over there?
2: (laughs) You're all about sausage right Bobby John? (laughs)
0: No, but but one of the things that that Rafe was always telling me about Lydia was that everyone just liked her. Like she had a great backstory. Like she really needed the money. There was some financial need. She had a hard life, and so people just liked having her around. Like they And Rafe was saying that's one of the things that's so um, under under it's um, uh, so misunderstood when it comes to the Survivor fan base. That people think it's all about strategy, who played the best game. But a lot of the times it comes down to who do I want to have this money? Who really needs this money? Who would it make a difference for? And he said Lydia it was a huge thing because she was like a single mom. She came from like an abuse situation that they absolutely all kind of rallied around her and liked her and really wanted her to do well in the game. So again, it just speaks well towards what players do well in this game. It's other players want them to do well.
2: So we cut to the immunity challenge and before the challenge actually starts, we get a little bit of banter between the tribes. And this is very reminiscent of the Shapira and Mogomogo thing in that one challenge when they had to decorate themselves with face paint where Yasha is smiling, they're having fun, they're having a good time, and Nakum is just
1: stone-faced. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, I don't have anything more to say other than that it's just a funny little scene to watch the uh, differences between the two tribes.
1: At least they did a little bit of paint, though, unlike yeah. Mogo Mogo, which was like, what is this <laughs> paint? I will, I refuse.
2: <laughs> exactly. So this challenge is, uh, it's one of those uh, one person, Lydia, launches balls. And Scout
1: Cloud leap formation.
2: Exactly, and ev- and everyone else kind of runs around with these like tri- this triangular stretchers, and they have to catch the ball in the net. But uh, despite the first points kind of going to Yusha, Nakuma is actually able to come from behind and win their first challenge. And this is when the rivalry between Jamie and Bobby John uh, starts starts to simmer a little bit. When uh, <laughs> Jamie just fires off a response after they win. <laughs>
0: Well, there's two little storylines going on here. The first is that Jamie's redemption. Like Jamie was down in the dumps. He couldn't come through for his tribe. And then he finally comes through. He's the big hero. So you have the Jamie redemption storyline. And then intertwined with that is the Bobby John and Jamie feud, which who's smiling now? Who's smiling now? Where Jamie's just doing the, his best to taunt Bobby John and get a reaction out of him. And if there's, does. One thing we, yeah, <laughs> there's one thing we know about Bobby John, he will give you a reaction. You no, know, so maybe
2: maybe not as
0: vocal in the moment as all he does. He
2: just goes Woo right back at him.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's just he's showing to get wild. But you know, Jamie does have you know it, it is nice because it's part of the Jamie redemption thing. It's on the mat before the challenge. You know, Jeff points out what Mike just pointed out was that Yashaw came in and they were smiling and everything is like well, Nakum. You guys aren't you guys aren't smiling very much. And you know, Jamie is just like, well, we haven't won. We'll smile if we win.
2: And they did. And they did. So then,
1: so then you know they win. The challenge, and then Jamie's just like, who's smiling now? With the fist pump and stuff like that, and you see Bobby John respond with a, whoo
0: <laughs> He turns into Scooby-Doo for 30 seconds. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I should point out, just for Survivor Trivia Purist, this is one of the rare challenges that Stephanie won. So congratulations to Stephanie.
2: She did it, guys. They, they finally had as much heart and determination as her, and they were able to pull it together. Yeah. We
1: did it, Reddit. We did it.
2: So uh, as, as we get back to Shah's camp, uh, we still get some more talk about Jamie, kind of in a mirror to Nakum reacting to Bobby John celebrating, where you know Bobby John points out something that he'll point out for the next few episodes, which is that, rather ironically, there is a way to win. And uh, Jamie was you know, crossing that line, and he brings up the whole Alabama-Georgia rivalry for, I think, the first time, uh, which is always a fun thing. As, as, a, as a Blue State person, much like Brian Corden, I still don't understand... That type of rivalry. Uh, So it fascinates me to this day.
1: Well, sir, there is a way to win, and that is not the way to win. I'm sitting there going like, but Bobby, (laughs) legs in the air, is that the way to win? You got so
0: gay. Don't you remember that?
2: The only way you can win is if you act gay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: Now, in terms of Guatemala, would we say that, that Jamie was a bad sportsmanship or just a bad sport? <laughs> I, look, man, I'm not a bad
1: sportsmanship. I'm just doing whatever it takes. If I have to rub my face into the other team, man, you know, that, that's what it is to win. It's not I, I don't think I'm a bad sportsmanship, man.
2: Well, I mean, Jamie, Jamie, technically, you know, he took it down the field the whole way. So I guess by judge logic, he was he was fine.
0: And we mustn't forget that this is one of the uh, authentic Guatemala challenges of throwing balls and catching them in a net. Which they they were known to do.
2: That's that's all. That's why they got conquered. Because they spent too much time (laughs) playing hoop ball and uh, and throwing basket and you know catching balls in stretchers.
0: Yeah, and too many too much time going on mine carts down into sand piles.
2: (laughs) That was really the big distractor for the for the Maya Empire.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we should have been spending more time pouring molten gold down our enemies' throats, but no, those damn mine carts. (laughs) So,
1: like when the Spanish conquistadors showed up and they were like, "What is this amusement park?"
0: (laughs) <laughs> well, sir, this is our <laughs> minecart of death. Mayan and Bobby John, okay.
1: So, <laughs> uh,
0: so Quick, someone look up what the Guatemalan word is for so gay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at Yisha, Brian and Gary kind of
2: come together, and it looks like the big plan right now is to sway bobby john and danny over to get rid of blake and they kind of take it in two different rounds i think gary is the, gary goes to bobby john and uh and he also ends up going to danny so this ends up becoming much more of a gary thing than a, a brian thing which you said he emits in, in his uh his early show interview but this will be kind of a recurring theme that we'll experience for the next few episodes in terms of y- yashah 's mentality which is Always the best, the best uh, criteria to vote someone off on Survivor. Who deserves to be here? And it's, <laughs> they're trying to make the case that Blake doesn't deserve to be here.
0: Yeah, Dan, this is where Danny kind of turns into Tina Wesson for a while. The, you know, I only want the good people to win. He doesn't deserve to be here. So it's, a lot of people, I think, kind of forget that Danny had that uh, aspect to her where she kind of has a little bit of Tina in her.
2: And the, the interesting thing here is there's a, a, lot, a good amount of strategic complexity from Bobby John, which is such a night and day thing from his first season where he'll vote in the minority a, a few times just to you know, make a point and do what he wants to do. But here, you know, he brings up the, the, the piss break deal that he made with Blake, as we talked about from, <laughs> from, from episode four. But he ends up going back on that, uh, which is actually very, very surprising, and it shows that Bobby John actually learned something from his first time out, and it seems he seems at least a little more adept to the strategic side of the game, where if he knows which way the tide is turning, he's going to vote with them, instead of doing something like Brandon does, which is knowing what's going to happen, but still vote in the minority anyway.
1: <laughs> it's very tough when, when you're in that situation. Like, you know, this, this is a strike against everyone saying Brandon is fantastic. It's like, yeah, he wasn't going home that night, you know, and, and his vote ultimately didn't matter, but it's like, you probably should switch and bobby john switches but i think that this is less of a case of bobby john learning and just more of a case of bobby john you know a broken clock is is right twice a day yeah <laughs> you know like he did sort of switch but that's the that's the thing about Bobby John, we, we've we been talking a few times in, in the Palau podcast and in the Guatemala podcast. Who would you rather have on your team, Steph or Bobby John? And, you know, I think that a lot of times we say Bobby John would be a better teammate in the sense that, you know, yeah, he's going to give it his all in challenges and he's not going to try to, you know, lead you down some sort of weird path. You know, he's he's like a body in challenges that you can sort of, you know, lead around and tell him what to do and he'll do it and and all that sort of stuff. But he's, I mean, he's an absolute nightmare when it comes to corralling him for votes because he's just, well, so, I am going to vote this way. Why? That's not that's not logic at all. That's not what we're doing. I know, but that is what I am going to do tonight when I write my name down on the parchment.
0: Yeah. The, the only thing I think when I watch this episode is how bad of a social game Blake must have had that two of his allies flipped on him. Not just one, but two. Yeah. yeah,
2: that's and especially considering it's someone who made a deal with him like 3 days ago. Did it was it really like Jamie level levels of annoyance that they're just like screw Blake, I'm going to I'm just going to turn on you.
0: Yeah, I mean, it must have been. So it's it's just one of those things. Like, in the episode, they give Brian all this credit for it. But again, two people flipped. So it's not just a matter of one person got all these flips. People just, I think, were tired of Blake. So I don't think really anybody caused this other than Blake.
2: Yeah, and I I will say one caveat to your Danny-Tina comparison, Mario, in that Danny feels actually very like racked with guilt over this decision i think tina would be such a badass i I don't think i don't think she would bat an eyelash in voting blake out but it seems to like personally anguish danny to have to go and vote this guy out
0: yeah danny just seems like i mean i've never met danny i've had no interaction with her but she seems like a very nice person like things about this game really bother her and that's one of them she hates being in the swing position and she hates hurting people's feelings
1: but she'll do it and that's that's the thing
0: yeah, it doesn't mean she's not going to do it. <laughs> she'll, she'll feel bad about it, at least, unlike Tina.
2: Yeah. So we get to tribal council, and Blake is blindsided. Uh, I believe, so as we talked about before, everyone votes for Blake except for Brandon and obviously Blake, who vote for Brian. So, you know, Brian is spared one more day, and that is the last we hear of Blake, who again has a he, he's one of these people that has this very Weird edit that we'll see in a lot of these these mid game players, the ones that are eliminated from this episode until the merge or so. In that, you know, he had this big edit in the beginning where he was injured and he was really sick, but he had this big redemption on that one challenge in episode two. And then he kind of is edited very negatively, interestingly enough, towards the end of his arc. So I'm not sure what impression we're supposed to be left of with Blake, except that he's his girlfriend has double D
0: breasts, <laughs> but it's it's a weird impression. I was going to say the only impression I got is that he was going to go home and motorboat his girlfriend.
2: <laughs> I'm, they probably cut that out after they snuffed his torch. You know, like Shane talks about the burger. They say I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna I'm this close to motorboating my girlfriend.
0: <laughs> Inspirational final words. Now, are we going to gloss over Brian Corden's, uh famous uh, jury speech here? Or no, we're not. Boat?
1: Two two things we should mention about tribal council. First of all, one is that they do talk about how they have given him the the moniker of Golden Boy. Mm-hmm, and yep. what's great is that you know starting at tribal council like jeff talks about blake and blake talks about how you know yeah you know i started out rough and now i'm doing all right and amy
0: just goes golden boy <laughs> well it's funny because of the peeing confessional he should have been called golden shower
2: <laughs> oh boy so,
0: so <laughs> oh, yeah mr glory takes offense at that joke fine <laughs>
1: so, so then so then they talk about the golden boy thing for a while and whatnot and blake is just sort of being oblivious to everything and then they they go to the voting, and of course, this is Brian's uh, big thing where he votes Blake, and he holds up the thing and says, you may be gold, but I'm platinum.
2: Yeah. Well, that platinum's about to rust in a few days.
0: So, Yeah, so one another one of Brian's big moments here, uh, one episode before he goes.
1: I also feel very gypped because I have been watching the Olympic Games for most of my life, and uh, I is, has anyone won a platinum medal? <laughs>
2: Uh, they, were, they were about to give it to Phelps, but then they decided not to.
0: <laughs> yeah, It's funny, I never even knew what Platinum was when I was a kid until I started playing Dungeons & Dragons. So, going to my nerd tangent here, that in D&D, anyone knows that Platinum is worth more than gold. So, yep. thank you for Brian Cordon for backing up that belief.
2: And I'm glad we organically segued from the Olympic Games into Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> That's how we do. Yeah, we're all about the non-sequiturs here. Yeah, we just keep going and
0: going, man, damn
2: yeah so speaking of going and going much like a giant oversized boulder let's talk about uh episode six uh and brandon feels a little blindsided uh about this which is weird because i thought didn't danny approach him beforehand to talk to him about this but he still felt he did he still didn't know that blake was going
1: yeah i mean this this is this is strikes against brandon i mean i i you know he he, he, w- he was given all the clues that perhaps Blake was going to go last night. And he's like, Well, you can do what you want, but I can't vote for him because I gave him my word. And then he goes home. And I think that he's just sort of upset with Bobby John that, you know, Bobby John voted for Blake. And Bobby John's like, Well, I told myself that I would switch my vote from time to time. You know, and, and, and Brandon's just like, Yeah, but, but still.
0: That's got to be one of the more awkward scenes I have ever seen on Survivor where Bobby John is trying to justify his actions to Brandon.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's it, it, talk about like blind leading the blind in that yeah, sense. Yeah, you know? exactly. Where like Bobby John is
0: trying to explain strategy to anything, <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, rubbing uh, a lot of people the uh, wrong way, uh, and you know, uh, and, he,
1: and he's just like, "Well, I, I liked him personally, <laughs> I liked him, but he was uh, he was rubbing other people the wrong way," and I felt, and you're just sitting there going like, "This Bobby, this." you should stop talking like it's not working
2: <laughs> just talk about your cowboy boots again get get up get back on the same so- same subject yeah so uh it, at nakum we get a couple of things we go back to nakum talking about the elements as they're complaining about the mosquitoes again but the main thing to take away from this scene is
0: that margaret is still miserable <laughs> yeah this is the margaret becomes debbie downer storyline
1: well, what's funny also in this storyline is, you know, they, they all talk about it. And, you know, Judd has a fun thing where he talks about, like, on the other tribe, she was the mom, but over here, she's not the mom. And, you know, it's an interesting sort of take from Judd. Like, it's, it's, you can see it as sort of being true, but even over on, on old Nakum, or, 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 yeah, on, on, on the old Nakum tribe, like, you know, Margaret had to be the mom because all the guys were so down and out. Like, it was a really good thing they had her. And then once they were on their feet, they were like, I I am a grown man. I do not need to be mothered and stuff like that. But what's funny is that Margaret sort of, she really got, you know, really messed up by that tribe switch. And, you know, she was sort of in in a good position at Nakum. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, down the drain here. And, you know, she tried to win it back, but Judd flipped and she just saw the writing on the wall. And what's funny is that, you know, the, the editing of course, isn't the case, but it's like the editing shows Margaret, like just shaking her head and being upset and being like alone with everyone. And they're just like, yep, she's out of it. And then you see in a confessional for Margaret. It's like, I'm not going to give up. And you're like, Hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah." it's, 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 it's just scene after scene of people talking about how much Margaret sucks, which is a, an odd story arc for a character who was so positive in episode one.
2: Yeah, it's weird. I feel like I don't know. Something feels like the switch like turned into Bizarro Guatemala, where like Ooh. everyone's edits just did a one eighty, and now they're the they're the nega versions of themselves. Yeah.
0: Margaret sitting there doing the Debbie Downer stuff, like you know, guys. Feline AIDS is the number one killer of domestic cats.
2: <laughs> womp womp. Uh,
0: <laughs> shut up, man. Shut up about the cats. Damn.
2: Uh. So let's uh let's cut to the big challenge here uh, oh, yeah. and this this is before we get started we we get uh mario's one of mario's favorite twists revealed it is yet again another double tribal council for the third oh, yes. season in a row and the the weird caveat to this one is whoever whatever tribe wins this challenge gets to have a, a barbecue back at their camp but then they'll also have an individual immunity challenge and that winner We'll not also get immunity, but also we'll get to sit in on the other tribe's tribal council. And don't worry, this will get even more confusing as the episode progresses. They keep keep
0: adding stuff. Yeah, we start over-twisting things here. There's no reason for that individual stuff. Again, there was no reason for that in Vanuatu. There's no reason for these double tribal councils. It's just, they're complicating stuff just for the point of complicating the game. It it annoys me.
2: Yep. So, uh, this reward challenge is... Very, very simple. There is a giant boulder in the middle of a court. Their goal is basically to push the boulder over to the other side uh, by any means possible. And the, the fun thing about it is that they happen to do it in a clearing that has a bunch of trees sticking out in all these random spots. And as we'll see as the challenge progresses, uh, the, the trees, I think, the, I think, you know, we'll get these like open wounds from all the, from a lot of bunch of these people uh in the next few episodes and i feel like the trees were a big cause of that just because i mean getting having to get like squished up against a tree and having to rub your bare back against the tree probably was not uh the easiest thing to do
0: well mike in all fairness this is what the Guara the mayans used to do they would roll balls in between trees ah. now we're doing it like the maya <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> is this while they were waiting for the chocolate to cook Exactly. It's, we learned so much about the Mayan culture from this season. <laughs>
2: so uh, I, there are a few highlights from this challenge. Uh, the, oh, are there? Really? <laughs> uh, it's quite quite a, quite a few. Uh, the the first big one, you know, the first match goes over and it's it's fine. Yasha wins. Uh, but the second big one is Brandon and Bobby John versus Judd and Jamie. And Nakum well, wait, is... Can we,
1: wait, hold on. Yeah. The first one is the women one, right? Yeah, it's can we just yeah. talk for a second that it's it's a, uh, it's Amy and and, uh, and Danny, Danny versus Cindy and Steph. And like if you were ever thinking of like a, a Guatemala dream team female team, you're like, well, Cindy and Steph, I mean they're just gonna crush everyone. Uh Nene. Yeah,
2: it's uh it's it's interesting as well, and I think one of our listeners brought it this up, but we'll bring it up as the challenge progresses that Amy and Danny were the only two women on Yashah, So whenever the challenge called for, okay, bring me two women, it would Amy had to go out even after she got injured, which again makes her even more of a badass. But yeah, she she drew pretty bad numbers considering she was one of only two women on that tribe.
0: Yeah, but let's definitely give props to Amy here. This is one of the more badass things I've ever seen on Survivor. This is, to me, this ranks up there with Savage balancing all that weight on his shoulders to save his tribe. I mean, Amy can barely walk. She's kicking ass up there in the rolling the boulder challenge.
2: Yeah, though she'll, I don't think she twists her ankle
0: Yet, uh, yeah, she so, did in the first earlier. No, no, she didn't. No, she remember she in the net, she heard it the oh, first yeah. time, and An then this is the football. one where it snaps. Yeah, it snaps this time. Yeah, but it
1: doesn't snap in the first round where they where they clobber Steph. It's, yeah, she's going to go out again.
0: But again, she still had that ankle injury from earlier in the sure.
1: season. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: But let's uh, let's 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 focus here on this on this <laughs> matchup, and this is when uh, <laughs> Bobby John and Jamie come to a head or to a chest, and this is where <laughs> you know Bobby J- Jamie starts. Screaming, Bobby John starts screaming. They get chest to chest and probably in the most homoerotic moment that doesn't involve Richard Hatch of the first uh, 12 seasons or so
0: uh, with Bobby John yelling like, That's what I like! That's what I like! <laughs> so Bobby John gets so gay in this season, but it's not in this scene, actually. Yeah, surprisingly, this is not <laughs> the gayest thing Bobby John does this season. <laughs> no, but one thing I have to point out that people forget about this part of the scene. Again, Bobby John, there's so many little great things about Bobby John. Watch this rolling a ball challenge and watch how Bobby John runs into that ball at the start. Oh my god. It's fucking face first. He hits that ball with his shoulder and his face as hard as he can. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, no wonder his shoulder's all torn up later. I can't believe his face isn't torn up. But that's, it's just such a Bobby John thing that he would lead with his face.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but the fun—I think the the best part of this interaction is not even the interaction itself, but what happens afterwards, or at least the way it's edited, where everyone is just awkwardly silent (laughs) as
0: the two men walk away. That's what I like. (laughs) Yeah, that's—I use this picture a lot on the Funny One Hundred and Fifteen. It's one of my favorite pictures and little moments in the early seasons of Survivor. It's just, just a great scene overall. Just Jamie and Bobby John finally coming to a head, and it will not be the last time either.
1: No, but what's really funny is that, in a weird way, it it's very just these two guys doing something that they do. And I, and I like the fact that you mentioned that there's just awkward silence from everyone else. And, I mean, I'm I'm jumping a little ahead, but, you know, after this challenge, you see a little reaction shot at both camps where they talk about the little Jamie and Bobby John thing, and both of them are just like, yeah, well, that's what we do. <laughs> you know, we just we got into the face, and, and that's it. You know, like, they were very calm about it. It was that, you know oh, my God, dude, you totally freaked out on that guy. I know, calmer than you are. So <laughs> Yeah, well. I,
2: I love that, too, is, like, the fact that these men get so heated in that moment, but then they immediately cool down. Uh, they're just like, oh, yeah, no, it just it happens. Everyone's like, no, you, you guys look like you were about to punch each other in the face. Like, no, no, you know, Alabama, Georgia, it happens. Yeah.
1: It's, it's good. No, it's good.
0: It's and so, a good metaphor when they say that men and women fight differently. Like, men, they get it all out at once, and then it's done. All right, we're good.
2: yeah. So this is the third match, and this is the one where Amy uh, ends up twisting her ankle, and she's still like screaming in agony. She still gets up and work and still pushes the ball. Though I think uh, I think Nakum still gets the point. No, uh, I think Isha actually ends up getting the point somehow. No, but, yeah, uh, Nakum gets no. it
0: because of Judd. It's a, it's one of those be Judd uh, challenges.
2: Yeah, it's always this is yeah one of the ones that definitely benefits uh, judges Judd's stature, just because you can't. Push both a ball and Judd at the same time. <laughs> yeah,
1: yes. you know, when when Amy snaps her ankle, uh, her tribe loses that 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 point really easily. But then you know she's like hobbling, and Gary's helping her like off the course. And then you see Jeff going like, "You you got to go out now because it's yep. it's two women."
2: Jeff probe stick moment.
1: <laughs> Actually, I don't or, even think so. Or, it's or uh,
2: like, John Kierhoffer dick moment we can yeah. say.
1: Because even Jeff's just like Amy. You're right because it's it's two women. You have to go out there, and you just see her. And she's like, "Well, I'm not all
0: right, but I'm gonna go." Yep. Here comes her Kirk Gibson moment in the '88 World Series. Yep.
1: Yeah, she goes.
2: She goes aggro on that ball, uh, and she's at, And they're able to get the point. She's able to success, success, successfully get the ball away from Cindy, and uh is actually able to do something. So surprisingly, the just I think it's just because of the Judd factor. The men, the women are able to do a better job than the men with their points, just because. E- even with amy on one workable ankle
0: uh bill simmons of grantland.com writes about sports movies a lot and one of the things he uses to describe a good uh sports movie is a chill scene or a chill moment where it gives you the chills that's the one thing i can say about amy winning this challenge and then celebrating with her broken ankle this it's, it's a great chill moment and i love it yeah you yes. compa- you compare her like like just you know absolutely you know ecstatic
1: over her victory in the scene with you know just jamie and bobby john from a few minutes before and you're like oh this was genuine that's good
2: yeah, yeah. There, this is one of those challenges where there's just a lot in it <laughs> yeah but uh, be- the, it turns out to be more of a bad news bear situation for you Shaw, because right after amy gets a a great run nakum wins the challenge like right the next
0: round This judd yeah judd wins and bobby john hits the ball with hits face first into the ball again and again, I can't uh, overestimate that enough. Just watch for that when you watch the scene. Watch how, how hard Bobby John hits that ball when he runs, it, runs into it, and he hits it with his face. Yeah, that sound effect is gnarly. <laughs> and only Bobby John would do that. I can't think of anyone else in Survivor history that would lead 100% full speed with their face.
2: So Nakum wins the challenge. Yasha is uh, summarily sent back to camp, and then Nakum does this little individual immunity challenge where it's collect three bags of letter tiles and form a Two-word phrase, or in this case, collect three bags of letter tiles and have Judd tell you the answer.
0: <laughs> yes, I don't know if uh, that uh, hurts Rafe's Ivy League intelligence chance as much, where Judd has to tell him the answer.
2: Yeah, which is uh, weird, weird to me. So I'm I So what are we assuming here? Are we? Do we think either? judd wanted to help rafe out because he because he he just couldn't get the bags of puzzle pieces open so i think he knew he was out of it or do you think that judd was just being judd said the phrase out loud and rafe overheard him and 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 used the phrase to win
0: i think judd just wanted people to know that he had figured out the puzzle and he wanted the credit it really didn't matter who was next to him whoever was next to him was going to benefit
1: yeah i think that you know judd he couldn't get his his puzzle his puzzle bags open and he saw he was looking at Rafe's puzzle cuz Rafe was right next to him and he just was like ancient ruin man ancient ruin like he sees it and i don't think he's consciously trying to help Rafe or even help the person next to him he just was seeing the puzzle and he solved it and he just you know was blurting it out loud not that he was like you know totally oblivious of what was going on but he's just like well if i can't actually win the challenge myself i'm going to yell the answer out really loud
0: yeah so great Judd moment thank you i got it thank you <laughs> I didn't know
2: I was so smart. <laughs> so Rafe ends up winning this one after listening to Judd. And as, as Jay talked about this before, this is when we get chatter from both camps about the whole Bobby John and Jamie conflict. Uh, Nakum is all about talking about how Bobby John uh, hit a new nut level, I think somebody <laughs> said. And Rafe actually asked Stephanie if Bobby John is legitimately insane.
0: <laughs> See, Rafe should listen to historians. He would know the answer to that. Yes. We have diagnosed him. He is legitimately insane.
1: What I love is that, you know, and, and this is subtle, but Stephanie and Bobby John talk about each other every once in a while in the season. And I, I think that we get a little bit more of Bobby John talking about Stephanie than Stephanie talking about Bobby John. But, you know, what's funny is that, like I said before, they shake hands at the beginning of this season on the top of that pyramid and that dopey entrance, you know, and... and you could see, like, they're not really friends. They've just been through an ordeal together. And it's like, at this time, like, yeah, they're asking Bobby John, and Stephanie's just like, I don't know, Bobby John's crazy.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, and we'll see this in a few episodes when, when Bobby John says he, he actually can't stand Stephanie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's why I think, like, if you have to bring back two or three players, I would rather bring, I think it's interesting to bring back, like, two people who knew, know each other and have some history because they can at least, you know, do what editors want to and mobilize alliances against each other. Uh, so this is, this is nice to fuel that fire, but on, on Bobby John's side of the story, he claims
0: that he put Jamie in his place. Yes. You want to buck up. That's fine. But there's another bear out in the woods too, which originally was a Thomas Jefferson quote. A lot of people don't know that.
2: (laughs) Wow. So he knows that he was, he's watched the shining and he knows Thomas Jefferson
0: quotes. (laughs) He does. He's a learned man. He's a, a Renaissance man. So well, sir, He was the third president of the United States.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, well, we, we stay on Yasha in terms of their, their big, you know, pre-tribal council scene. And, and right now, the in convincing uh, Danny and Bobby John to vote out Blake, it's now three old Nakum versus three old Yasha. And they bring up that, you know, Amy would be an easy choice because of her ankle, but for Brian and Gary, that would not be a good situation. And uh, you know, we, we talk a little bit about returning players and how Unfair it is when they play with new players because they're almost never brought up as targets until the merge or so. But surprisingly, Bobby John is brought up as a target for almost every tribal council he goes to uh, in the pre-merge, which is weird compared to Steph, who obviously I think makes more inroads. But it's interesting to me here in this scene. I mean, granted, it's the minority pitch, but Brian goes to Gary to say, let's. Let's get rid of Bobby John. We want to, you know, we want to eliminate the, the Nakums. It's not a sound strategy because, as Gary affirms, Bobby John is the strongest, one of the strongest members of their tribe. But I find it interesting that, you know, considering returning players trounce new players so much on modern-day seasons especially, Bobby John gets in a little bit of hot water during this pre-merge.
0: Yeah, see, when I watch this, the only thing that really comes to my mind is they seem exceptionally close, these six people. So there's not really a reason to get rid of anybody. So you can just kind of latch on to the little thing like, well, you know, he's played before or we don't really need him. I mean, it's just – I don't think there's any reason to get rid of any one of the six because they all get along so well. So it's just – it's just you have to think of any little thing and that just kind of comes up in Bobby John's case. I also think
1: that there's an undercurrent of – I think that people know that Gary is sort of driving votes wherever he goes and – I also think that there has been a discussion. We haven't seen it too much ourselves on Survivor, the television show, but I have a suspicion that Survivor, the actual game that's out there in Guatemala, there has been discussion of, oh my god, these two people who returned, they can't win the game.
0: Yeah, It's our season,
1: it's not their season. And so... I think that with these things, Brian knows, I mean, what has Gary said in most of the interviews where he's talking about voting people out? Gary has mentioned one of two qualities. One is, you know, we need to have like the people of integrity here or two, we need to have the people of strength here, right? And I think that Brian is trying to get Bobby John out. And I, I think he knows that Bobby John is strong, so you can't give the Bobby John is weak. But he tried the Bobby John shouldn't be here and doesn't deserve to be here. And I think that that carries weight with Gary. It didn't carry enough. And Gary chose the strength more, but I mean, I thought that, that, you know, for as much as we were like Brian's sort of a minor character and, you know, didn't drive a lot of stuff, I thought that that was the best angle he could go with.
0: Yeah, no, it's the right pitch, and there's just not much Brian can do in that scenario because, like you said, Gary is in a way quarterbacking the votes, but yeah, he's kind of running what's going on here, and Gary's not going to get rid of one of the strongest guys, so it's the only pitch Brian can make, and, you know, good for him for trying it. It just wasn't going to work.
2: The, the ironic thing is that Gary and Amy end up using the exact same pitch next episode. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so let's move or, over to Nakum and let's let's feast on some barbecue here because this is kind of a continuation on Judd's. I feel like I'm King Kong out here confessional from a couple of episodes ago, where he talks about how he's like he's one of the big guys, so he can do whatever he wants. And then we get a nice little. Uh, One of several cutting remarks from Margaret. uh, This one in the confessional, saying, "Judd is, as a tribe member and a person, the most offensive person to this tribe."
1: (laughs) That's a really good bit.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Judd. Judd does what Judd wants to do when he wants to and how he wants to. I mean, Margaret is going to just kind of passive aggressively kind of cut down Judd as much as she can here on her way out.
2: Yep, and this is so, you know, Nakoom's enjoying their barbecue, and as we'll, as we'll see, Judd is uh, quite into alcohol this season, and he, this is when he's trading the, the prospect of hot dogs to Steph for, for beers, and uh, this is what, as Margaret calls uh, the beer-root-beer beer conundrum, I guess, where they had, like, divided up, everyone gets a certain number of beers, and Judd just
0: grabs one out of nowhere and just probably downs it and doesn't even care. Well, there's a great little Judd moment there where he's talking about how they have to go to tribal council in either hiccups or burps right in the middle of the sentence. And it's such such a funny little Judd moment that the editors left in there just to, to kind of giving away what they thought of Judd as a character. I'd like to posit to some of the
1: listeners because, you know, uh, without me getting this wrong and, and having everyone saying, Jay, you're wrong. Um, I'd like to know because, you know, beer is – it's an interesting substance. Like I know it's an alcoholic beverage, but, you know, beer is – it was it was you know back in the in the olden times I mean people had it as sort of a, a it was liquid bread it had it you know it has a lot of uh, not nutritional value per se but you know it's got calories and it's got some things to sort of fill you up and I and I'm wondering like is it a bad thing to you know to trade you know a hot dog for a beer like which one's going to be better for you?
0: I don't know about nutrition wise but like when it's 120 degrees that cold beverage whether it's water whether it's coke pepsi beer i think that's going to be a huge thing just looking at that glistening there with knowing it's cold so and be
1: and being starving like i i know that like a hot dog is you know it's it's food and it's you know gonna go but like is it's a hot dog gonna go right through you whereas a beer might you know actually stick with a little bit inside your body
2: mm. well
0: beer beer doesn't help with what comes out that's true <laughs> And again, I don't I don't drink beer, but if I was there and they had hot dogs or Pepsi and it was 120 degrees, like that Pepsi would look awfully good to me, too. So I can see just one of the liquid no matter what it is.
1: No, I, 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 I honestly don't know. Like I'm I'm trying to, you know, sit there and, and, and say, you know, is is that a thing? But it, it, it's it sort of speaks to the fact that, yeah, Judd took an extra beer. I mean, that's very clear in the thing. And, you know, they, they sort of discover because, you know, they, they had figured out what was going on, and then they made trades, and then they're trying to figure all this stuff out. And what's funny is that I mean I don't know if Jeff or sorry if Judd knew that you know he took an extra beer you know right off the bat but it's like it's very clear that Judd has been like drinking a lot of stuff and you know being very loud about it and then they're like we're a little short what's going on Jeff Judd's just like what's going on man what the heck what's going on with the damn beer man
0: Yeah I love that he says like all right whoever drank the beer is going home <laughs> Well it's funny that you said he drank one extra beer. I think it was at minimum two extra beers yeah. he had. He had a bunch. He,
1: he had a bunch, and I think that you know, Stephanie says at Tribal Council that, you know, traded a hot dog for a beer and stuff like that. So not only did he have his share of beers and an extra beer, but he also traded for beers. So yeah. there there's that whole thing as well. But then what's funny is that, you know, he's upset about it, and I think that in a way he is legitimately but upset about it. But then I think he starts to realize that perhaps he did drink a beer too extra too many, and then he just says something like you know what? Whatever. I won the challenge. If I want an extra beer, I can have an extra beer. And he says, "Like
2: yeah. you can all kiss my ass."
0: <laughs> yeah. I hope you enjoyed your hot dogs and your hamburgers.
2: So let's let's move into this travel council because this, this is, is a good one. Oh. This is a this is a highlight, and I know Mario, you went into in depth. Was this was this one of the top ten of the funny one fifteen? I'm trying to remember. It is number ten on the funny one fifteen. Oh, this
0: is so good.
2: Yeah we we need to we need to dissect this one. Jeff opens from the start asking Margaret who you know are the are I, well, I think they, they start by talking about Bobby John and Jamie and it sort of segues into the question of like Margaret, are there are there good sports on your tribe and I think Margaret is kind of scorching the earth a little bit I think she knows what's going to happen so she says you know Judd and Jamie both have big mouths and I think Jamie not necessarily takes it in stride but like is is relatively fine with it but Judd this just sets him off <laughs>
0: you know this is where and there's so many great things about judd as a character and one is where he just starts making up words that don't make sense and where he calls himself a bad sportsmanship that's one that that i love he repeats it a couple times in the scene that we're not i'm not no bad sportsmanship man we just go out there we give it 120 damn percent man we just keep going and going and going
2: yeah and, and this is uh this is, you know, when he says damn good sportsmanships, he throws out the Lou Ferrigno 120%. I think he goes above Lou Ferrigno at this point. Uh, we, get a, we get a nice Jeff Probst moment where he, like, actually is able to stop Judd, Min monologue, to say, like, Judd, be, being a good sport doesn't necessarily mean that you're giving it your all. And then that's when Judd just launches into this huge thing about driving the ball down
0: the field it's a wonderful sentence it's like an 85 word sentence it's majestic if you were to diagram that sentence your english teacher would have a heart attack (laughs) and jamie's
2: rubbing his back the whole time to try to calm him down too (laughs) which they they have an interesting relationship i feel like every time judd blows up jamie has to calm him down but every time jb blows up judd has to calm him down it's like a weird like almost like an aa sponsor almost (laughs) they have to like be there for each other
0: (laughs) i was gonna say it's not so much that judd has to calm jamie down judd tells him to shut up man so let's uh let's press further into this because uh you know,
2: Margaret Margaret brings up Judd only listens to himself and Judd tries to refute this point by buying into the point by saying, All right, uh
0: Cindy, do I do I listen to you? And then just completely steamrolls over her answer. <laughs> yes. Judd yeah jed legitimately again we're not making this up he asks people if they listen to him and then he doesn't listen to their answer he just talks over them every single time it's one of the funniest unintentional comedy things of this season well
1: then he's like rafe do i do i listen to you and, 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 and
0: race just like well you see it's a yes or no question yeah, And and Judd won't even let him answer he just moves on to the next guy <laughs> well I, I can't even no okay you're done next
2: uh and then steph was gets a uh a- and in retrospect, a great Stephanie LaGrosse moment of saying, Judd is a lot like me. <laughs> I, just, I just can't stand still. He has so much heart. Exactly. And then Judd then interrupts a compliment to
0: stand up and, t- and scream his ADD story into the yeah. jungle. This is one of the greatest little non-sequiturs, because it comes out of nowhere. Oh <laughs> my just, yeah, someone's complimenting him, and he stands up. When I first came to camp, Margaret looks at me and says, you have ADD. <laughs> <laughs> where did that come from? <laughs> I bet it's just
2: been boiling. He's like, "All right, time for the Trump, the Trump card, the ADD story debate one."
0: Yeah, well, it's funny. I wrote about this on the Funny One Fifteen. If people haven't read it, you, this might be new to you. But Margaret has a wonderful uh, little rebuttal to that, where Jud says, "You have ADD. Do you know that? Is that a nice thing to say to a person?" And Margaret says. Uh, the other problem with Judd is he has a problem with recall. And <laughs> I what love she just
2: t- deadpans <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> what she's talking about there is this came out in interviews after the season is that Margaret never said that Judd had ADD. It was Danny who said that Judd had ADD. So Judd is getting his females mixed up. So that's uh, exactly. Margaret deadpating her response. Yeah, Judd has a problem with recall. <laughs> I'm glad Judd uh, distincts his women as much as he distincts
2: the two pots of water in his camp. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh on the funny 115 i also t- kept track for people who were scoring along at home in this one scene alone judd dropped 17 mans and five dams just in one scene so it's a great it's a judd highlight reel
1: well, I just yep. love it. I love it as well as that you can see it because, you know, Jeff has tried to interject with Judd. Judd's not having it. And then he has this thing with Margaret and, you know, the ADD and yeah, the, the recall line is really good. And then, you know, after that, you know, he's just like, did you not? Did you do, when he saw did, did, Didn't you tell me I had ADD? Is that true? And Margaret's just like, what I love is that she doesn't answer it. She just looks and she just sort of looks at Jeff and she's like, this is what it's like to try to talk to him.
0: And that's something that Rafe always told me. He said he couldn't believe that the Judd scene comes off as funny on TV because it wasn't funny at all at the time, because that's every single conversation with Judd. He would steamroll everybody, and it was so annoying. So, yeah, Margaret is just shrugging. She's like, What can I do? There's no way I can win this conversation.
2: Yeah, I feel like Judd is kind of in, and we'll see this with Shane in next season two, of like really entertaining people to watch on TV, but man, you would not want to be in a situation like that with them whatsoever. So I do yeah. I do feel for these people, and I especially feel like you can see Rafe's facial expressions kind of say it all, Steph has her head in her hands for some of this. Like they are just they want to get out of this situation immediately.
0: Yeah, that's well, that's what I got from people in Guatemala. Nobody wanted to be around Judd ever. What I also love is
1: I love the the old um uh, the old sportscaster booth play by play and color commentary man argument that comes from Judd. And it's, it's before the ADD comment, but it's back to the whole bad sportsmanship thing where, you know, Margaret's just like, Judd, you're displaying, you're displaying bad sportsmanship and, and all that sort of stuff. And Judd's kind of doing the driving down the field and the touchdown man, and I'm winning. And what I love is that he just looks at Margaret and says, I never played sport in your life. Have you? Yeah. So you should just shut up. So, Shut up. I'm not a damn bad sportsmanship man. I love it that, like, that's his, his thing. Is you can't judge by sportsmanship because you probably have never played a sport.
0: Yes. Although, let's not let's not leave off the cherry on top of the Sunday here of this wonderful scene where Stephanie then pipes in what is Judd going to do? Not make friends with his new alliance? It's retarded. Yeah, I was yeah. going
2: to say, Steph just, just peppers that <laughs> phrase in. America's sweetheart. Oh, uh, man. So, we... <laughs> Do you guys, uh, ha- any other highlights from that or should we get to the vote?
1: No, but
2: I have no other highlights. Yeah. I mean, that's it, the,
0: go ahead.
1: No, I, I would submit this for one of the best travel councils of all time. Are you kidding Absolutely. me?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you have a D D. Well, I think what,
1: what makes the, I mean all the, Je- the Judd stuff, I mean, obviously this is what's driving the travel council. But what I love is, is th- this is one of those where I actually think that Jeff Probst is really good in this scene. Like, I know we pile on Jeff, but I, what I like is that Jeff does try to challenge Judd every once in a while, but he lets Judd do his thing. And then, you know, like later on, like you could just see Jeff just he's exasperated. He shakes his head. But then, you know, when Jeff's like when Judd even like wants to interrupt you more, says, Jeff, could I say something? And Jeff's like, yeah, go ahead, dude. Like, you know, he's, he, I think Jeff at this point is like, this is good. And he's just letting it go. Yeah, so I absolutely. think this is a really this is a I would submit this for one of the best tribal councils of all time, just because <laughs> Judd is fantastic in it. Margaret's fantastic in it. Um, you know, and even the, the sort of supporting players in this travel council, like Stephanie and Rafe and stuff like that, they've all got good lines. And Jeff Probst really just lets this go. And it's fantastic.
0: I agree 100 percent. Good job on Probst on this one. This is one of his shining moments. Absolutely. In a, in a season that apparently broke him. So that's that yeah. says even more about it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Jod, I've heard, is maybe his least favorite contestant ever. So that's the thing. When Jeff kind of gives up and just doesn't care anymore, it makes pretty good TV. So
2: uh, we get to the vote, and the, the really fun vote is when Judd votes for Margaret. He says, uh, Margaret, if you leave this jungle now, it ain't soon enough, man. Get out. Now. <laughs> I just love the way he drags out now to sound like, I don't know, like a like Shredder
0: from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's exactly what he was going for, I'm sure. Oh, yeah,
2: absolutely. <laughs> so predictably, uh, Margaret goes home, but man, did she go out with fireworks. But Rafe gets too awkwardly stay behind and sit on the jury and he he puts on his dashing glasses and he gets to observe Yasha's tribal council which is not not nearly as entertaining.
0: Yeah, this one's kind of boring. This one really the only thing is is Rafe going to save one of the one of the of his former teammates with the vote the, with the necklace. That's that's really all that comes down to. It. I don't really have anything else in my notes here for this tribal council.
2: Yeah, the only other thing I have is that Bobby John for some reason calls Brian a kamikaze about to bust a wedge. Which yes. I have again. I'm a I'm a blue collar state. I'm I'm a blue state like Brian. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> okay, this
1: this is this is a football term. Yes, actually, um, you know, like you know, in football when they do a kickoff, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, the the ball goes deep, and the and the guy that catches the ball is going to run out, and then you know the 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 team that is the receiving team, the the guys are all kind of lined around the field, and they're going to block the 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 kicking team that's coming on, so the guy can run the ball back.
0: Mm-hmm. A
1: lot of times there is uh you know three or four people that sort of are very close to where the receiver is that, that, that catches the ball that is kicked. And they form what is known as a wedge. And basically what they do is they kind of form this formation in front of the runner, and they basically kind of run in a direction and provide some key, very tight blocks so that the runner can maybe have a lane to go up the field further. Yeah, it's like a V it's like a v kind of it's a wedge and so when they talk about a wedge buster is you're talking about some guy on the kicking team that when the ball is kicked he's going to run down the field and he is going to absolutely annihilate this this close group of people he's
0: busting the wedge yeah pretty much bobby john okay so <laughs> so he's basically comparing bobby john he's- to himself yeah brian Bob to himself. himself okay yeah although there's a really nice little moment where bobby john says brian would make a good neighbor he's just a good old boy which is it's kind of a heartwarming little speech like these guys have nothing in common whatsoever, and they've actually kind of bonded. So it's kind of a nice little moment. It,
1: it was it was nice for for uh, Yasha to kind of give um, Brian what I would consider the Lenny moment.
0: Yeah.
1: Where you know it's this is the look at the bunnies, Lenny. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah, exactly. Look, yeah. Or right, is it? Yeah, it's Len, Lenny and George. Yeah. Yep. And so. George is
1: like, look at the bunnies, Lenny, and uh, and, and they vote him right out.
2: <laughs> so was uh, so was Blake uh, Brian's rabbit. <laughs>
1: I just I just I just had to snap the neck, man. It's just what happened.
2: Um so yeah, so this is uh the I as Mario said, I think the big the big question is who Rafe will give immunity to. Uh before the when the votes are coming in though, Brian does kinda have one final snipey remark for Bobby John who just, you know, complimented him and called him a good old boy. He said this would be the outwit part of outwit, outplay out last. Which is like, man, he just said he loved you and now you're gonna say that he's stupid. <laughs>
1: But again, I think that this is part of the needlessly complicated thing, right? Like, in Survivor yeah. Palau, um, you know, wh- who got to stay? Was it Ian?
2: Look, all of Karor The whole stayed. tribe. Yeah, they, yeah. I oh, they, they the too.
1: oh, yeah, they all stayed. So is this the first time where we've had someone just give some? No. no.
0: In uh, Vanuatu. Yeah. It was JK, yeah, John, yeah. John did it before the vote. That's the difference.
1: Yeah, and, and he did it before the vote, and he literally just walked over and gave someone the necklace, which, yeah, that's that's – you know, it, it's an extra step and more complicated. I get that whole fact. But, like, that's pretty simple, right? Like, he was sitting over there in the jury section. They had their tribal council. And then Jeff's like, all right, before the vote, JK, give over the uh, immunity necklace. And he gives it to someone. And then he gives his little reason or whatever. And then he leaves. But this time, they're like, Rafe, you get to go walk up the pyramid, cast your vote for someone, and place it in an envelope inside the, the urn. And yeah. it's just like, wh- what? Like, are we just... Did we just have a straight envelope on the set and they were like, we got to use this?
2: Well, especially since it ends up being inconsequential because, you know, if it had gone to Brian, then yes, that would have been a a big cog in the plans. But he ends up giving it to Gary, which doesn't mean anything. Though, interestingly enough, Gary wins every iteration of immunity this season, you know, through (laughs) through the idol, through this one random vote, through tribal, through individual, which is like a weird fact. But yeah, I think... I mean, I think, I don't know if anyone was expecting Rafe to give immunity to Brian, but I, I think anyone who knew what Rafe was going through obviously didn't, because I know, I know Mario, I think Rafe brought
0: this up with you, but Rafe and Brian didn't get along, right? Oh, yeah. This is, I have a lot to say about this. This is an interesting one, because first off, if you watch the, uh, on the DVD, they have uh, Brian's early show, where he goes on and on about a lot of stuff in this episode. First off, he mentions that this is the outwit part, and he he's, he mentions in his early show interview that that was not a slam at Bobby John. He was just bragging about his plan, like this three two one plan he had set up to split the votes and everything. Mm. So it wasn't directed at Bobby John. It was just pointing out that he had split the votes that he was gonna, he was going to outwit the game. But what's funny in the uh, Brian's early show segment is that he says, "Well, I was the one who told Rafe to give the immunity to Gary." Brian said, "I had this whole plan. He had to give it to Gary." So we basically that Brian took credit for all of that, that it was all his plan. And it all went out exactly like he expected it to go out. But what's funny is that this is something I very specifically asked Rafe about 10 years ago or so. I'm like, why did you give that, that immunity to, to Gary and not Brian? And, and Rafe said, well, it's really because I knew Gary wasn't going to get voted out. Like, I was going to give it to someone it would make no difference. But he said, but mostly it was because I really didn't like Brian, and I wanted to be the guy who got Brian voted out of the game. He's like, I figured Brian would get voted out. I wanted to put the nail in his coffin. So he's like, it was actually one of my happiest moments of the game, because he and Brian just didn't like each other. So that was, that was. I remember at the time, to maybe 10 years ago, Brave said that was one of his proudest moments of the game, that he didn't give Brian immunity on the night he could have saved him, and he didn't, just because he didn't like him. So. It's really funny to listen to Brian take credit for something and then listen to Rafe give a completely different explanation for why it happened.
2: (laughs) I I wish now Rafe had gone to the final Tribal Council just to
0: get the question, like, what was your happiest moment of the game? And Rafe's like, when I denied Brian that immunity... (laughs) Yeah, but he really was happy about it at the time because it was—it's one of those things you never see in the episodes. But again, they were so similar; they just—I mean—took over the same demographic in the cast. They couldn't coexist because they were so similar. So, yeah, Rafe was more than happy to send Brian out of the game.
2: All right, so Brian—Brian uh, Brian goes out here. I think he claims in his final words that it's a blindside, which I guess makes more sense considering his three-two-one plan. But still, still doesn't
0: really make much sense. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I take yes. a lot of digs at Brian. It's, I actually had a run-in with him on uh, some message boards a couple years ago where I was kind of repeating some rave stories about him, and I accidentally told him more first-person like that I didn't like Brian, and Brian took offense to it. So Brian and I kind of have a history where I've dog-piled on him a little too much on the message boards, and I apologized to him. More. So, so I, I Brian and I get along now. I like him, but yeah, on the show, I just really wasn't a fan of him. I just there's almost nothing about him I like in this in this season. It just it it comes off as very uh, phony to me and just sticking out to the cameras just the just to the extent so we can stand out as a character. I never really bought him as a character.
2: All right, so let's uh, let's segue here into episode 7 and we, we get a little bit of recon from the Margaret tribal council uh, where, you know, Judd just talks about, you know, he's happy that Margaret's gone and he I think he's a, I think he affirms to the re- everyone they're like don't worry, I'm not a loose cannon.
0: I'm good. So yeah. we're Yeah. Jed has a great sentence here that my bark's not as big as my bite. Which he gets it backwards.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All,
0: right. All right, good. Thanks, Jed.
2: <laughs> and doesn't he say something about how like Margaret's making chicken wings back home or something?
0: <laughs> yeah. I wrote this quote down and I circled it because it jumped out at me. Hopefully I'll be laughing my ass to the bank and she'll still be at home making chicken wings or something.
2: <laughs> what is why is it the first thing you pick <laughs> out of your head of like something a mom does?
0: That's, that's what most nurses and moms do. They sit home and make chicken wings. <laughs> chicken wings are like, like okay.
1: I'm not the best cook on planet Earth, but but I, I do cook many things. Like chicken wings is not just something that one just takes on, right? Like if you're gonna do fried chicken wings, like you've got to have the setup for that.
0: Yeah. So maybe it's a compliment. he's, he's yeah. Yeah, complimenting her cooking skills. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so uh, Jamie actually has an interesting quote here as well, where he says like Judd's outburst is going to give him a better reason to take him to the finals as a goat which is very ironic considering the way jamie's edit goes for the next few episodes
1: yeah but yeah, you, can, you can also see though that this season they're starting this sort of i mean look this is not the first time in survivor history that someone has dragged people to the end but you know jamie is talking this is episode seven in the season he's talking about you know judd Jud jed would be a good person to take to the end because you know no one's gonna vote for judd it's like we're already starting this talk
0: yeah the one thing that jumped out at me is that is jamie's spazzy edit where he goes from hero to goat to hero to villain like all of a sudden for like an episode or like half an episode he's going to start to get even a little bit of a winner edit here like it's his redemption he's going to come back he's wise he's learned the judge you can take him to the final two like there's not an obvious winner edit in the season really of anybody but all of a sudden for like an episode or so jamie almost starts to get one it's the weirdest thing
1: Mm -hmm. Which sort of affirms, because, you know, we've talked about how, like, there's this core alliance now of Jamie and Judd and Stephanie. And I think that Judd and Stephanie sort of have, you know, bonded together and clicked, you know, as as buds. But at the same time, I think that they're all eyeing each other up as, I mean, obviously Judd and Jamie sort of look at Stephanie as, I can take her to the end and and win because no one's going to vote for Stephanie. But Stephanie's looking at Jamie and Judd as like, wow, these guys are two hothead loose cannons. You know, and so it's one of those things where all three of them are looking at each other going, I could beat the other two really easily.
0: Yeah. And once you know that, it's it's completely shocking to know that, I mean, Rafe doesn't end up in the final two. Yeah. I mean, it's like Rafe is just sitting there pretty. No one's ever going to vote him out and everyone else is gunning for each other. It's just Rafe and Lydia are on easy street pretty much here. But enough talk about strategy. Let's talk
2: about Bobby John's festering wounds, shall we?
0: <laughs> well, not only his, but like all the guys on the tribe have those shoulder—the exact same shoulder injury now.
2: Yeah, which I guess so. so maybe this, maybe that. Again, that maybe that wasn't from running f- headfirst into the ball as Bobby John did. Considering that they all have it, I don't know whether it was just like a rug burn type of thing. But those are that might be some of the the grossest stuff I've seen on Survivor thus
1: far. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> leave it to Brandon to be like, "We have open sores."
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Bobby John, of course, will one-up his festering sore when he's going to use it later as fish bait. So oh, my God. Oh, my God. And, well, the, the weird
2: thing is that you so the scene starts, you know, everyone's waking up, and you see in, like, the perma-dark, Bobby John, like, ripping something off of his shoulder, and it turns off that his T-shirt was, like, stuck to it. <laughs> yeah. And I guess it was starting to, like, scab over, so he had to rip out the scab. That's, oh, that's disgusting.
0: Well, I appear to have ripped off my flesh. <laughs> well, <sir? laughs>
1: Oh my god, Bobby John. No, this whole scene is, is really, I mean, it's gross, but at the same time you can see it. And what's funny is that you know Amy's got some scabs on, on her face and stuff like that. And what's funny is that she's just like, yours looks really bad, Brandon. And Brandon's like, that's what's on your face right now. Looks like this.
2: <laughs> so let's get to the reward challenge, which uh, is all about wrapping, your, getting tied up and rubbing yourself up against other people. So I believe this is the first challenge based off of the Jenna Lewis video. uh the second one will come later in the season uh but this is a this is a weird one this is like you wrap yourself up in material and then you move on to the next person then the two of you wrap yourself up and then you have to once you get up to four then you have to unspool and get to the finish line it's a you know it's one of those like economic challenges where like they they really didn't need to spend much money and there's not a big setup involved but it's it's weird to watch it's a mayan tradition no, that's what they used. To, yeah, they used to wrap. They used to wrap themselves up in toilet paper like mummies, <laughs> and then unclip. Un-
0: un- yeah, they had carabiners back then.
2: <laughs> it's a weird thing, and I, I don't know if the uh, I don't know if the producers were hoping for some I don't know hot action, considering that Nakum had Rafe and a bunch of women. <laughs> so I don't know how <laughs> much I don't know how much ratings that would bring in. Yeah, this is more of an Amazon challenge. Yeah, it, it probably it was probably on the back burner. From Amazon, but uh, it's you know I will say that in these post switch challenges, it goes back and forth a lot between Nakum and Yasha. It's not like a lot of post switch tribes where like one tribe clearly dominates over the other one. But this one's actually pretty back and forth as well. I think like Yasha gets out to an early lead, but then Nakum catches up, but then Nakum can't unwind fast enough, and I think Rafe and Lydia and Steph fall over, and so Yasha wins, and they win a uh, chocolate feast and a zip line jungle tour.
1: Oh, before, we get, a... before, we, before we get there, let's uh, let's recap for those of you who aren't listening. Stephanie's tribe jumps out to an early lead, but then overthinks it and they blow their lead and they lose. I'm just saying.
0: Why you got to bring her down like that, Jay? <laughs> she has so much heart. You don't understand. <laughs> uh, so gay, so gay. <laughs> this challenge was like a a fabric nightmare. She couldn't wake up from.
1: <laughs> and 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 the, the and for those of you keeping at home as well this this challenge does have the scout cloudly memorial spot where you know the one person that's supposed to help yeah. although you can't really help since everyone's just kind of winding themselves around like they help just clipping carabiners but like yeah. other than that they're just sitting there going like come on guys
0: wrap yourselves yeah. around surpri- surprisingly this isn't lydia yeah it's not lydia it's uh it's- we have jamie there telling them come on little one you can do it little one
2: but, uh, you know, I heard off camera after, you know, Rafe and Steph and Lydia fall over, Jamie got them up and encouraged them to unspool, go to the finish. <laughs>
0: finish. Keep on finish spooling. Strong. Finish strong, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, let's let's not joke around here. This is a kick-ass reward. I love this reward.
2: This is a fun one. This is a great Amy moment as well. And this will unfortunately be our last Amy episode. But she still goes out in a fun moment where she is apparently frightened of heights. And she's, like, weeping as she goes down this zip line. Yeah.
0: Now, hopefully, a lot of our listeners have done things like this, these zipline tours. Anytime you're on a cruise leisurely and they go, they go somewhere tropical, they'll offer a zipline tour. If you ever have that opportunity, do it. This is something I was talking about in, in part one of the podcast that I got a chance to do one of these in Mexico once. And it is fantastic. It's so much fun to be up on those ziplines. It, it, they don't really do it justice just seeing it on TV. It's just a really cool experience. And... And there's so many little comments in this, in this challenge, like Bobby John and Brandon just talking about how this is an amazing experience. They'd never get a chance to do this coming in where they live in Kansas or Alabama. So it's just, I really appreciated that they had a chance to, you know, take in this experience and talk about how much it meant to them. It's just a neat little thing.
1: It's fun when I get my eyebrows raised by something Bobby John says, because Bobby John's just like, well, you got to be on the zip line and you got to go through the trees. Let me tell you, it was just, and I'm just like shaking my head and writing notes down. And then he says, it was majestic there you go and i was like wow bobby poetic buddy good job his poem just just
0: got so gay (laughs) he i he didn't know that he studied keats before coming out right (laughs) he did (laughs) it was the thomas jefferson quote and keats all that stuff yeah exactly hold on i gotta i gotta mention another bobby john moment i'm not sure if you guys noticed this or wrote it down in your notes but you know when they unspool themselves and they run to the finish line they just kind of get to the finish line and finish Bobby John, naturally, is the only one who goes face first into a full barrel roll off camera. (laughs) Just watch for it. Like, everyone else celebrates like a normal human being. Bobby John has to do the full tuck and roll off camera.
1: Also, props to Brandon for coming into the end like he had just hit the uh, game-winning, like, a walk-off home run from, like, a baseball team. Where, like, he kind of does the jump right at the end like he's going to jump into home plate and they're all just waiting. It's good.
2: Yeah that's 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 a fun one. Uh, and I there's another fun Brandon moment here when they have the chocolate feast and he talks in a confessional about how he can't even look down at the ground because it reminds him of chocolate and it'll make him feel sick.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and he like Wait. downs a pitcher of milk before leaving.
0: <laughs> no that, uh, now, how how did that chocolate not melt by the way? Isn't it like 114 degrees that day? There was a lot
1: of ice. You can see the ice just around all of the okay. things. So there's that, but yeah, it, it it's funny like I figured going into the season that they would, you know, probably play up some sort of chocolate angle with, you know, the Mesoamerican societies that, that lived. But it's just always very funny when they do that because they're like, the Mayans, they, they sort of, you know, discovered chocolate and going around. And it's like, yeah, but the whole idea of putting milk and sugar in chocolate, not really a Mayan thing. So, like, then he's just like, you have pralines and chocolate covered strawberries and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, not really Mayan anymore. Just, just have to <laughs> point that out.
2: Well actually I believe the Mayans had the chocolate fountain going on when the when the Spanish came to invade them.
1: <laughs> they had the fondue fountain going. Yeah yeah that that was that was part of the concessions of their of their uh, you know amusement yeah, after, park. Yeah
2: after the after the big uh after the big hoop ball game everyone had a nice <laughs> feast around the chocolate fountain. What what yeah, the well, big so, chocolate river?
1: Well sir I am Mayan Bobby John. What would you like to do next after your hoop ball game? Would you like to go down the mine cart ride or would you like to <laughs> oh, have the chocolate fountain?
2: Or perhaps you will have sex with me. <laughs>
0: Now I was thinking, just like the Chocolate River, like where there had the 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 alligator-proof cage. You can have the Chocolate River, like Augustus Gloop floating by out there. That's like stuff. the worst. I didn't
1: know that there were alligators in Willy Wonka's Chocolate River. <laughs> I want yeah, I want a little...
0: double whammy for Augustus.
2: I want little gumdrop min- minnows to be eating out of Bobby John's open <laughs> sores. <laughs> All right, so uh, this is so we, we cut back to Nakum, and this is again when we get a big disparity between Yasha is the happy tribe and Nakum are the Debbie Downers, as it's Danny's birthday and Yasha decides to. Uh, this is something we really don't see a lot of at all. We'll see it like unintentionally again in Cook Islands, but there's really <laughs> no tribal interactions. But Yasha decides voluntarily to paddle over to Nakum and invite them, invite them over for a pool party. <laughs>
0: Yeah, now you know this is hardcore survivor when one tribe invites the other one over for a pool party. (laughs) <laughs> We're really I getting love, down to brass tacks, yeah.
1: And what I love is that you know they they invite them over and like you know they they row up to the dock and they yell for them and you see them and the thing they're like I think that's the other tribe. Should we go get it? And I mean you know that's out of the ordinary. So I think that all of that being confused and going down there is all very legit. But what I love is that they come down. And they're like it's Danny's birthday. We have the pool. Do you guys want to go to the pool? And I mean you can see like Stephanie and you know a lot of the other people are like yeah, that sounds good. We will go to the pool. And of course let's let's have Jamie just be like. I don't want to go to the pool. I wanna go with them. <laughs> I don't want to be with them in the pool or that
0: sounds stupid. Yeah. Forget that that winner's edit I mentioned about Jamie. Forget I said that.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's well, he's gonna become in specifically in this episode, he's gonna become like the leader of Nakum Pride, it seems, of like, it's us versus them. We can't even we shouldn't even interact with them. Though Cindy gets a couple of snipes in this scene too, when they're like paddling over and she's like she wants to refuse their peace offerings and she's like, I don't I don't wanna go. I thought it was stupid.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. That's one of the very few Cindy character scenes in these middle episodes. You don't hear from her much. I noticed that.
2: And it's weird too, because like, I guess it also shows a little bit of where her loyalties are going to lie and why she ends up sticking with the Nakum six is because like, you know, Bobby John and Brandon and Danny were her former tribe mates, but she just kind of shrugs them off. Like, ah, no, I don't, I don't want to see them. Yeah.
0: I do have to say when watching the scene, one of the things I wrote down that, you know, Danny's pretty adorable. Just her little thing, you know. It's my birthday. I'm a big birthday person. We always invite people over. Oh, I love birthdays. Just like she seems very authentic, just in some of those ways she says stuff. So she's kind of kind of adorable in a way.
2: Yeah, I, 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 and I think it's cute. And we get a little bit again. We're getting small glimpses of characterization with Danny in these middle episodes. We got absolutely nothing in the first few episodes aside from the fact that she knows who Gary is. But I love her fact that like she's she really loves birthdays and she wanted to invite everyone over. Uh, one of my favorite parts of this scene too is that so we get a, a little historical context quote about you know how the Maya tribes would would meet and socialize and then go to war. But uh, who who do we get that quote from? Wilson.
0: Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maya and Bobby John.
2: <laughs> I just love that, and this happens for uh, a few instances too, where like Bobby John becomes the unintentional expert on the Maya culture <laughs> for the audience. <laughs>
0: Yes. That's what I actually what I remember thinking when I was watching Palau. I was watching, I'm thinking, I bet that guy knows a lot about the Maya.
2: (laughs) Steph complains about how Bobby John would just go on and on about the Maya and Oolong.
1: (laughs) It was so gay. (laughs) I wonder what the producers thought of just this whole thing. Just the fact that Nakum like rode or Yesha just rode over to Nakum and was like, Hey, do you want to just, you know, spend the day in the pool and all that sort of stuff. Like, I, I don't know if they were running around tearing their hair out at this prospect, or they liked it, or or what was going on. I mean, it, it's just a very surreal scene when you think about it. Just, you know, a tribe literally just intentionally going to the other tribe's camp just to invite them to go swim.
0: Yeah, I wondered if, if they had to get permission for that from the producers because you think that would happen more often. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I, I agree. I feel like I feel like it definitely did, and I don't know. Maybe maybe Cook Islands. Sou- that whole scene kind of soured the idea and the producers have discouraged contestants from trying to walk around and, and you know meet with each other before any sort of challenges because who knows there could have been another uh kippy Ka- kappenberg type of thing where like they let information slip and it's up screwing one of the one of the people in the end
1: okay. they do they do mention that in later seasons i do know i think wasn't it colby the man i know i'm jumping way jumping the gun but doesn't colby say that you know in heroes versus villains that the space that they were actually allowed to roam around their camp was very limited compared to previous seasons. Yeah. And he was pretty bummed out by that because, you know, part of the fun for him was to go out and explore and they were like, well, you can't go very far.
0: Yeah. They've definitely tried to rein in what the, the players are capable of without permission anymore.
1: Yeah. So like this whole scene, it's, it's very surreal when you go back and just look at it. Cause the, there's not very many times where the two tribes just unwittingly interact you know, or, or not even, this isn't unwittingly, they very much intended to, but just the fact that one tribe rode over the other tribe and said, hey, let's just spend an afternoon, put the game aside, go swimming.
2: Yeah, so, so uh, you know, you, you think that Jamie's sour attitude ends when they get to the pool party, but no, it stays throughout as we get several shots of him, like, in the corner, just, like, grimacing at everyone. He says, I think he says he's, like, taking mental notes, but really he just looks weird, and Steph will point this out, but he does the random, like, you know, parent thing of just randomly saying, like, okay, time to go back to camp. And everyone's like, oh, okay, I guess we'll get back on the boat. And Steph, you know, as we talked about before, she'll, she has a good filter, but sometimes she'll just let it fly. And she tells Jamie
0: to his face, like, you were weird. You were really weird back there. Well, I do want to point out why I mentioned earlier that it seemed like Jamie was almost getting a winner at it at the time. You have to remember. At the time, you'd watch an episode and wait a week, and people would talk about it, and then you'd watch another episode. So it's different than watching them all in a row like we're doing. But at the time, I very much th- thought that Jamie might be getting a redemption winner edit because he does give the Brian Hyatt confessional here that this is just a business trip. I'm just here for business. So that's why that's why I say that in the first place. Although obviously that will be dispelled very quickly in the next episode. Yeah.
1: Well. The problem though is that you know. Whereas Brian's just there for business, you know. When they had get-togethers, Brian would be part of the group, right? Yeah. I mean, just the, to me, it's like when you're watching this thing, and Jamie's in the boat, and he's rowing over, and he's like, "It's hot, and I don't want to row, and I don't understand the point, and you know, I don't want to be there." And then he gets over there, and he's just like creepy McCreeperson in the corner, just going <laughs> like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't, don't want to talk to them." It's like, dude. You were on a tribe with some of them not too long <laughs> yeah. ago. Like, they're not yeah. super strangers to you. And he's just like, I don't want to. I don't want to fraternize with them. I don't want anything. It's like he's literally just looking at the camera saying, my name is Jamie. I am not winning Survivor. Let me demonstrate to you why.
0: Yeah. Although that backs up something I said a minute ago that nobody's really getting a winner at a, at this point.
1: Well, no. Yeah.
0: It's weird. I mean, that's the thing. That's that's the knock they always say about Danny, that Danny's win kind of comes out of nowhere. And we'll talk way more about that at the end. But it's it's a very odd season because it's hard to pick out. Like, Rafe isn't even really getting much of a winner at it yet, and he's going to no, be in the yet. final three. So it's it's really an odd season at this point to pick out who the favorite is.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, you know, sometimes there's stories that can sort of... Uh, build all the way through the season. There's like a a good, you know, they can show the winner at the beginning near the middle and the end. But there are people like Jenna Maraska on Survivor Amazon, where it's like, Jenna didn't do much to help her cause a lot of the way. But, you know, the last week or so of the game, she managed to do a couple things right. You know what I mean? She stayed in over Heidi because she was more likely to quit and go home. (laughs) And then she won a bunch of immunities and she took out the correct people at the end of the game and got to the end with Matthew, who totally couldn't win the game. And it's like yeah. she did a bunch of stuff at the end. And I'm not saying that Danny only does stuff at the end, but you're seeing Danny. Danny is is, you know, down to earth. She is likable she is talking to people she is being social she's laying sort of social groundwork but it's like danny hasn't had to do much in the game yet you know she sort of was instrumental in you know sort of swaying out to get out blake but it's like danny hasn't been down in the numbers yet and then when we merge she's just going to be down in the numbers yet and you know the game's got to sort of go around and she does do some active things i'm not saying she doesn't do anything but it's like her game hasn't just picked up yet she hasn't really had to do much yet
0: yeah and that's I guess the thing to back up the argument that not every season has a winner edit like yeah. sometimes it's just about someone survives the process and and again there's little scenes like her wanting to involve the other tribe in a birthday party that just shows how social she is and how well mm-hmm. how well respected she is right
2: yeah and i think among the survivor editing community as well uh people say that some seasons are not necessarily why x person won much as much as it is why x person lost and i feel like i would make the argument that specifically for this these first like two-thirds of a season guatemala is going to be the why stephanie lost season those also arguably be like the why jamie lost season or why judd lost season uh and this is definitely one of them too this and this is where we also see the beginning of the whole like stephanie getting annoyed with jamie's paranoid type of thing which will definitely come to fruition in the next few episodes but we get to see inklings of that which is when you know what's going to happen ahead of time it's it makes a lot more sense but I, i always thought that was fun and of course jump cuts right to minnows eating out of bobby john's wounds (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes i showed that to my my daughter and my wife today we were watching i was re-watching this uh season and we came to that scene and they both refused to watch that scene more than about two seconds so that's all i'll say about that
2: well especially because he's trying to f- use it as a way to fish
0: <laughs> yeah not only is he using his scabby dead flesh to attract fl- fish but he's trying to eat them raw just by scooping down and theoretically eating his own flesh that is floating in the water at the same time so way to go bobby john
2: oh uh, man always resourceful that bobby john <laughs>
0: <laughs> well said now you're doing it like the Maya
1: yes
2: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is a fun scene between Amy and Gary too I think Amy had a similar thing a few episodes ago when she talks about how you know she would she would die if she found out that Gary was actually a, a professional football player and the, the two of them kind of have uh, their own little like they, they she won't obviously be voted out yet but they have their own little like parting moment scene it seems from an editing perspective in terms of them talking about like you know, how much they got along during the game and you know, Amy <laughs> talks about like if you know, if if Gary if you're lying to me, I'm gonna go home type in Gary Hawkins and I'm gonna beat you down.
0: <laughs> There's no such thing as a Gary Hawkins in Grand Haven, so she could be searching for years.
1: <laughs> which which is like, again, you know, a lot of Gary Hogaboom's uh a, a lot of his confessionals this season are literally my spirit animal. Like they are just they're so good. They just are, are out there. And I love that one where, you know, he's, he's denying, denying, denying. And then he just basically says, well, you know, Amy could – she's going to spend a lot of time looking for Gary Hawkins in Grand Haven because he doesn't exist. And <laughs> you're just sitting there going, like, damn, Gary. I,
2: I want to see Amy with, like, this giant cork board of all these pictures of Gary with, like, push pins <laughs> leading in different directions.
0: <laughs> okay. So here's the full quote where she – I will track you down and I will beat you down like a stepchild. Oh. Is- ooh. Yeah, that quote was not popular among stepchildren at the time.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that's like a, an offshoot of Clay Jordan's
0: quote. <laughs> yes, no, I'm going to
1: go out on a limb and say it's not popular among stepchildren now.
0: <laughs> yes, but yeah, that is one of Amy's top moments. Everyone remembers that quote, and it's, uh, I, it's yeah, it's a to beat someone down like a redheaded stepchild. It's not the more politically correct sayings you're ever going to hear, but it is something that she's going off that I will beat you down like a stepchild. So there you go, way to go, Amy.
2: I also love how Amy says, you know, Gary has all these ways to refute these claims. And this time, Amy says, you know, Mr. Gary Hawkins, ex-professional football player. And Gary goes, oh, I wish. (laughs) Good good playoff,
0: Gary. (laughs) You know what's funny? I'll jump ahead here. But on the DVD, they have Amy's early show. And they actually ask her, did you know he was a football player? And Amy's like, yeah, we all knew, but nobody cared. (laughs) So it's like, so the true story, that's her answer. It's like. She's like, yeah, I fucking saw Gary Hogaboom play. There's no way that guy's rich. He sucked.
2: <laughs> Again, then compare that to Gary's like, first confessional where he's like, if they found out I was going to be in the NFL, they'd kick me out immediately. <laughs> yeah.
0: So she's like, yeah, we all knew, just nobody cared. <laughs>
2: uh, so we, we get to the immunity challenge, and this is, uh, of course, authentic Maya. We got to go with the authentic and incorrect Maya calendar. And uh, this, is, this is a pretty mundane one. They just have to dig up. Pu- heavy puzzle pieces and put together a big Maya calendar. And you know what Nakum I like wins.
0: about what I like about this one is Jeff literally has a reason to tell them to dig. That's true.
2: Maybe <laughs> maybe he was inspired by that.
0: Yeah, you got to dig, and so it actually works in on this one.
1: For for a challenge, goes this is pretty mundane though. I think we could skip skip it. It's just um, uh, you know, Nakum wins, and it was just they jumped out to a little bit of a lead, and they just kept a little bit of a lead, and they won.
0: Yeah. Yep. So Stephanie, this uh, Stephanie wins
2: again. Yeah, she's uh, she's defying the odds right now. So much heart. So this is this, this these Yasha scenes are kind of comparable, not as bad as those, those Thailand episode eight scenes where it's Suk Jai knowing that like one of their family is going to go home, but kind of close in terms of like. It, the writing is pretty much on the wall that it's going to be Amy. I think we, we have some, some classic Survivor misdirect scenes here where uh, Danny's toying with the idea of voting out Bobby John because he's a previous player. Uh, but, I mean, even at Tribal Council, too, it's, it's, everyone's just really,
0: really sad. Yeah, and again, it just seems like those Yashas were very close. They had a very close bond, and now they knew because they lost that challenge. That was this. This really is a big turning point in the game for it being a boring challenge. Like, if they had won this challenge, they'd go in five five. Because they lose, now they're going to go in down six four. Not only do they have to lose Amy, who they all love, but now they know they're toast the rest of the game. So it's just it's kind of a double whammy. That's why the end of this episode is kind of a bummer.
2: Yeah, and I we also get an interesting part of this scene with Bobby John and this will come more into play with the next episode which is Bobby John's lifelong dream apparently is to make the jury uh and we'll really see this come into play next episode but I yeah it's interesting to think about because you know on the surface you're like oh you want to be on a like the survivor jury like that's a weird dream but like think about it he missed out on the jury and the merge by one vote one challenge last season so to have it almost happen all over again would be just. It would gut him. I don't think it would gut anybody to have to go through that twice.
0: Well, to be fair, you know, the greatest player of all time, Boston Rob, has played four times and has never been on a jury. So he just wants to say he's better than Boston Rob.
1: Well, yes. it's, it's not only that, but it's, it's it, like you said, Mike. I mean, I think that, you know, people have different goals when they go into Survivor. And I think that, you know, not a lot of people like to hear that. They only think, well, everyone's out there to win the million bucks. And it's like, yeah, the million bucks is there. But, you know, some people are you know, the million bucks would be nice, but I'm here for the adventure, or, you know, I'm here for this, or I'm here for that, and, you know, a lot of people sort of come in with a very realistic goal. Like, some people come in saying, I am going to win. I am definitely going to win the million dollars, and that's, you know, my bottom line. I I, I would argue that a lot of people that end up winning have that attitude going in, but a lot of people are like, I want to make the merge, or I want to be on the jury, or I don't want to be the first one voted out. Like, they've got little goals, and I think that, you know, Bobby John wants to win, obviously, but you're right, Mike. He got he was so close to the jury in Palau and he missed the jury, not just by one challenge, but just basically he lost it in the dissolving of Oolong. Yeah. To Stephanie, like that's got to suck. Yeah. Like not really losing to Stephanie, but just the fact that like you are, it's the last challenge that the tribe had as the tribe to make the one person left from Oolong. And then they make sort of the quote unquote merge, but it's just, that was the, you know, down to nine and, that person goes over to Karor and the game goes from there. Like, that that had to be really gutting. So I think for him, he's just like, I need to make the jury.
0: Although, let's be fair, losing to Stephanie sucks, too. Yeah, especially, especially if maybe
1: you won and then they had to do over. I, I, we we <laughs> talked about that. But. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, the I mean, uh, Danny finds herself in the swing vote again, which I think is, is speaks volumes about her position on Yasha. She seemed to be in a very... Secure position, and she was kind of in that Rob Sister, you know, position of like everyone was jockeying for her vote at all times, which is a great position. I think it speaks to Danny's game, but she ends up, you know, voting out Amy, which I think is a, a very sound strategy. I think from Danny's perspective, you know, if they're going in six four and the worst happens, they're going to get rid of the three guys above her, and if you're, you know, if you're Brandon or or if you're even if you're Gary, you're going to think like, okay, let's keep Bobby John. Instance, you know, we'll be down at the at, at the merge. Even if Bobby John's with us, you know he'll get targeted before, in Gary's case, himself. So I thought it was a, it was fine, but man, it sucks to see Amy go, especially, again, so close to the merge.
0: Yeah, I've heard people say that the, the big flaw with Guatemala is that it has this big run of big, fun, interesting characters all being voted out in a row in the middle episodes. And it's you know nowhere more evident than seeing Amy go right here. That sucks. Amy was a big character. I love Amy.
2: Yeah, I, I really enjoyed her. I think... I really enjoyed her as well because she was such a beacon of positivity amidst your Jamie's and your Juds and your Stephanie's and even a little bit of like your Brian's as well. These people that are, that are, you know, portrayed a lot of negative features. But here you have Amy beaming. She's never been camping before. She has a lot of great quotes. She was always laughing. She's just one of those fun old school characters that you like to, that like every time she's on screen, you want to watch her and you know she'll do something great.
0: Yes. And by b- doing something great, we mean beating a stepchild.
2: We don't know what happened at Ponderosa.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: All right. So, but before the episode ends, we have one of the most awkward merge announcements ever. I'll go ahead and say. Uh, Jeff's like, oh, before you leave, uh, you're merged. Uh, here's, here's some <laughs> buffs. Go to Nakum. Uh, all your stuff will be over there. Uh, you have to pass out the buffs. Uh, some Other instructions will be there. Bye. <laughs>
1: you, you think just Jeff, like, just couldn't be bothered? Like, he's like, dude. I am not doing a merge
0: in the middle of the day. It is
1: hot outside Here, Just, just take them, just take the buffs and
0: go. Like, seriously. It's like that Samoa challenge where he just doesn't show up at the immunity challenge. Oh, out there, that, reward challenge. Yeah.
1: that, 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 uh, that bocce ball challenge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is the first
0: instance of probes just phoning it in.
1: It's like, yeah, you guys are merged. Go back there. All your stuff will be there. Just your, here's buffs. Just pass them out. Just, yeah. just, just pass them.
0: You've seen the show. It's not rocket science.
2: Uh, so let's, uh, let's segue now into the merge as for the second time in like three days, Yasha arrives at Nakum's camp. So I'm assuming, I'm assuming, you know, Nakum wakes up. They're like, okay, do you guys want a sleepover party now for Danny's birthday? Is that, (laughs) is that what you want to do? (laughs) But, uh, this is Gary on the way there, Gary sets up this, the, the, what the Yasha's, what he claims the Yasha's have to do to get into Nakum's good graces for the next few days, which is basically to be their slaves.
0: Yeah. Although this is where we first really hear the relationship between Bobby John and Stephanie that he hates her as much as she hates him. Yeah,
2: he doesn't want to be around her for more than five minutes without wanting to hurl, he said.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it kind of ruins some of that old school, you know, nice warm vibe of the uh, oolongs at the time. You know, the the last two Bobby John and Stephanie fighting against the world and then a season later they hate each other's guts and always have. So it kind of ruins Palau a little bit at that point.
2: Yeah. So Yeksha wakes up Nakum in their in their shelter and, and passes out the buffs and this is this is gonna be Jamie's one of Jamie's big uh, jackass episodes here as <laughs> I because the things Jamie says aren't necessarily wrong there's just a certain tact to saying them and Jamie completely rolls over that and that's that's not more prevalent than when he like goes up to the four Yashas and he says okay well we don't have any room in the shelter
0: so you guys gotta sleep outside bye. <laughs> Which is funny, ironically, you know, you hear these comparisons of Bobby John to Jesus because he looks like him. This is the no room at the end moment for the little baby Jesus. <laughs> uh, does that mean someone will give birth to Bobby John in this moment? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's going to come out screaming head first when he's born. So that was, yeah, would he's going to slam
2: head first into that manger. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and this also, is actually. I am born.
2: And actually, Bobby John has a confessional right after that moment where he says he's going to, he threatens Jamie that he's going to knock out all his teeth and slam the back of his head.
0: Yeah, I'm going I'm to knock every one of your teeth, slam out of your head. Slam out your head. Yeah. I'm going to knock every one of your teeth, slam out your head. Oh, my Which God. Which originally was a Voltaire quote.
1: <laughs>
2: yes. Oh, it's, a, it's a lost line from Candide. Yes. Uh, and then, so we, we, uh, we really live up this whole servant's master's. Theme uh the next morning when all the shots are just mercilessly bringing piles and piles of wood in a in a Bruce in a, in a Bruce Lockley manner Butch Lockley manner uh, to the camp. I don't know yeah, if they were planning. You get, to it, bur- you
1: get it right, Temp.
2: I don't know if they were planning to burn it, burn down the mine ruins as well. But we can only we can only hope.
1: <laughs> Do not besmirch the memory of Butch. <laughs> I will not yeah. have it. Believe in yourself.
0: So this is one of those they're coming into the merge down six to four and you know, Brandon and Bobby John, the two biggest athletes, are clearly the big targets. So Brandon and Bobby John have to kiss everyone's ass right now and they hate it.
2: Yeah, and this is, I mean, even still, on a rewatch, this is uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> Specifically, yeah. those they, they have these shots like we talked about in episode four, where there is one shot where it literally is the four-year Shah sitting on the bottom of the pyramid and the, the six Nakum sitting on the top, and it's like, uh it's tough to watch just because of the way like the, the Yashas just kind of ro- like roll over with it they're like yeah we understand we have to do your bitch work and meanwhile Jamie's like making sarcastic comments with them like oh yeah we got enough wood don't worry and it's like uh oh, oh, this is this is tough i when i when i was watching it the first time i was a big new yashah fan i was uh, mainly because i was a big bobby john fan but i fell in love with all those other people as well so this was this wasn't still is a tough episode for me to watch
0: yeah, I've heard people describe this as the most depressing episode in Survivor history or one of the most depressing episodes. And I have to say that it's, it's got some good character scenes you remember because there's some conflict. But if you just look at it from the big picture, yeah, it is just a, it's an unpleasant episode where basically characters you like just get kicked and laughed at the entire time and then voted out. It's kind of like the Roger Sexton episode of Amazon, if you liked Roger. That's how I, the only way I can describe it. <laughs> is this where, if you, go where? No, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's it. If you liked Roger, you would have the same reaction to how I, what I have about this episode where Brandon goes.
1: Is this around the time where Rafe starts giving confessionals about, like, I'm aligned with evil people?
2: That's next episode. Uh, yeah. When he, when he, he asked if he's joined up with the axis of evil.
1: That's the one. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I like... Because I I feel like Rafe ha- reacts to things how I react to things sometimes, where, you know, and it's going to come up during the uh, the thing here, but I actually, to tell you the truth, like th- this is... This is super Ako Taco, like this whole thing. However, I think that this merge on a whole, like even this merge is very unpleasant, just the way that they dumped them in the middle of the night. And then the fact that there is no merge feast and all this sort of stuff. And uh, they're going to get the tree mail for the new tribe flag around camp. Like it's very workmanlike and businesslike. And to tell you the truth, I kind of love it. (laughs) like I kind of well, love it just because I'm all about like creating tension in Survivor and like yeah. this merge did no favors to merge people together it created tension and I don't necessarily think this should be the standard for every season but I like that this happens it is That's a problem. yeah
2: yeah the problem with it though is that and we saw this with this episode I think people get so adjusted to those elements that when they're taken away from them all they do is bitch about it which we see with the feast where yeah it's a combined 5 minutes of people specifically Stephanie bitching about how there's no
0: merge feast Although, are we uh, here? We go. There's some history we're about to make here. Oh very boy! All right, time, yeah. here we here we <laughs> go, guys. Hang on I to your th- chairs. This is the very <laughs> definition of mixed reactions to a twist here. Let's go. We have
2: officially made it to the era of the hidden immunity idol, gentlemen. Uh, so, so Lydia, I believe it's uh, Lydia, and uh, I believe it's Rafe go to the tree mail, and instead of getting a feast, they're disappointed, but they find a big basket of flags and paints. But there's a scroll that talks about there is a hidden immunity idol that is hidden somewhere in the jungle. It's about six inches high in stone. And basically, in this iteration of the Immunity Idol, it functions as another immunity necklace. You don't need to tell anybody about it, but you you play it before the votes are read, and you'll be safe for that vote. And it's good up to the final four. And just like we see in Modern Survivor, as soon as you hear Idol, everyone hits the jungle and starts looking.
0: You know, what's funny is because we're all about the history here. This is one thing I'm sure we'll get a a, a listener question about. What was the fan base's reaction to a hidden immunity idol? Because obviously you hear a lot of old school fans bitch about it, how they hate it. And I'm I'm right there in the top of that. I I flat out will say I've never really accepted Survivor once they started doing this hidden immunity idol bullshit. But what was the reaction at the time? I remember people loved it. I remember it was very exciting. It was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like there's an idol out there in the woods that you can use anytime you want. Like this was unheard of. Heard of So I remember people being very positive about it in the audience at the time, especially because you like the people that are in the minority. So if you want to see them have a chance to survive, of course you like this twist. Wow, that's neat. We've never seen that.
1: Well, and also the fact that I remember sort of liking it, but it's just the fact that it was novel, right? It was like, oh, There's this hidden immunity idol, you know, and and they they showed them looking for it and then they kind of show you the idol and it looks like, you know, there's just this Mayan statue, right? And, you know, obviously that's just production and window dressing and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, in my head, to me, it was just something specific to this season, right? And so it's like, you're like, oh, well, you know, that's just a fun little thing. And, you know, the fact that, like, they introduce it in this episode and it's basically gone by next episode, like, it didn't seem so bad. You know what I mean? It's just something that happens, but it's like – you know when it becomes a part of the game and not only a part of the game but then it's just talking about like there's different numbers of idols on seasons depending on tribes and the fact that you know sometimes they get rehid and sometimes they don't and all those other things and just the fact that this idol didn't seem very diff- it didn't seem very easy to find so you know it, it was all that and just the fact that they're out there looking for the idol all the time instead of like socializing around camp it's like number one i think that camp camp is pretty set and number two it's novel, so they're just searching for it because it's novel, not because they're all like, "Boy, I really need this for my strategy of vote splitting and the blah, blah blah." They're just like, "Oh, there's an idol. I'm a, let's go look for the idol." Okay, yeah, yeah and it's a,
2: it's a lot of fun to watch too. Considering a lot of these modern seasons, everyone knows where to find an idol. Usually, they're in some sort of big landmark, like a tree or, or a, a rock that's out of place or something. But again, this is a novel concept. These guys have no idea where to look as jamie puts it they're looking for something that's like this big out of a jungle that's this big and he spreads his arms out so it's it like you guys said it was fun to watch it was a little bit like and i know the final three was much more disliked than the hidden immunity idol was when it was first introduced but it's sort of in the same regards of like you know it was a novel concept at the time and i think it was once it be once people started catching on on how to use it and it became more of a big part of the game, as you said, Jay. And it specifically became a bigger part of the editing. When nowadays we have every episode, is a deciding factor is, does someone have an idol? That is when things get out of control. But here, it's fine. I, I still think it's, it's fine. I'm not a big fan of idol searches just because I think we become, you know, it's been a deluge of them throughout Modern Survivor. But here, it's, it's fine. But it's going to take up a good chunk of editing for the next couple of episodes until Gary finds it.
0: Yeah, and again, it has no impact on the season at, at the end. So I love it. Yeah, I like it in Guatemala. So, uh, you know, while, while everyone's looking through the idol,
2: we get our first big Bobby John Steph scene. And I feel like it's maybe like one of our, I think it's one of like two actually Bobby John Steph scenes that we get through the entire season, which is kind of a letdown considering how much they pimped up the two of them as a pair. But this is where Bobby John brings his whole, you know, it's a lifelong dream to make the jury thing to Steph and you know, Steph says, I want you to make the jury with me, when I think she's basically saying, I want you to be on the jury because I think you'll be a vote for me. And this is basically, I think, that something that kind of seals Brandon's fate. Because once Stephanie decides that Bobby John is going to be on the jury, then Bobby John's going to be on the jury.
0: Yeah, although I think the point of this scene is really to point out more that Bobby John is actually capable of selling out his friends, which we never would have seen before. He's actually getting a little shady here, like, Just sell out my buddy Brandon so I can get further. So it's well, it's cool that Brandon that Bobby John gives that speech and Steph grants his wish. I think in in the bigger picture, it just shows that Bobby John's actually a little more devious than he likes to let on.
2: Yeah, I guess that can make sense, especially if you if you balance that out with the Blake vote as well. Mm -hmm. I think Bobby John's in in self preservation mode for the next couple of episodes, which doesn't really come to fruition. But yeah, I guess that's 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 interesting way to think about it. So, uh, you know, Lin- S- Lydia and Cindy, who are kind of inconsequential to this episode, this is their big moment of the episode, are working on the flag, and they decide on the always popular portmanteau of the two tribe names. This is Shakum, uh, is, the, is the tribe name, and they, they paint the flag. And I, I noticed, actually, while they were, uh, when they put the flag up, that Danny's name is misspelled.
0: Well, that's the thing. I think that's probably how she spells it, because if your name is Danielle, that is how you would spell it, D-A-N-I. I'm wondering yeah. if D A N N I is actually incorrect. with the way it all just the fans left use it. it in to the to the lower third the entire season. Yeah, that's my suspicion. Because why would you abbreviate Danny and add an N?
2: Yeah, that's weird. I guess because like, I I didn't maybe, I don't know if her name was Danielle with two N's and two L's. That's it. Yeah, I guess so.
0: Yeah, I noticed that too. And then I'd think about it. That I, I'm like, I bet the one on the flag is correct because wouldn't she have painted it? Or do you yeah. think she would have had some input into it?
2: no well they were they were the servants so they said like
0: you know what we'll we'll yeah. determine your names for you your name is yeah. toby <laughs> yes yeah so we'll just we'll just go with the benefit of the doubt and assume that danny knows how to spell her name other question who is J dog <laughs> it's either jamie or lydia <laughs> i don't know but i'm assuming it's jamie and let's judd i don't know if they had the dog thing working in uh at, in brooklyn or for his doorman stuff now i'm not sure no judd's yeah. name was
1: on the on a flag
0: yeah, so, I guess, so, Jamie, so That's
2: that's weird though, because you think if Jamie they made Jamie paint his name, they would have made him. He would have made them finish it.
0: <laughs> yes, very good callback. Well done. <laughs>
2: uh, and we also so everyone is again idle searching, but we get uh, some comical stuff from Rafe here. Uh, the first thing that Rafe says is that you know he's horrible looking for things, which is probably the the thing you don't want to hear from a wilderness survival
0: guide. <laughs> I'm sure the Mr. Magoo glasses don't help
2: yeah exactly and it's like his like smirk you know like not necessarily a smirk but like just a, a big smile showing off all his teeth while he was talking about this
1: I wrote that down in my notes too because like he, Rafe's talking about how horrible he is and it's just this Rafe wilderness guide <laughs> Shakum tribe
2: as long as it's on the path I can find it and then segue to him stumbling upon a hornet's nest and running away like an episode of Yogi Bear yes <laughs> Uh, so you know we get some more Stephanie complaining about the the merge feast, but she she I uh, she she quips her. she's like yeah but you know whatever Survivor it happens. Um, and this is where it. this is where we we get a dating confessional about how basically Nakum complains and actually the Yashas decide to leave the camp. They're so <laughs> turned off by everything going on at the merge tribe. What I
1: love is that they leave and they go fishing and then they complain about that. They're like oh, and they all just left together like. Come on, guys. Don't even try to hide
0: (laughs) (laughs) it. I have to point out one more thing about Stephanie I brought up in the Palau podcast is that she's clearly a big super fan. You don't realize that she's such a big Survivor fan because you think, you know, Stephanie just wouldn't watch TV like that. But she clearly knew all the trivia questions in Palau on the chips, on on the Pringles. And this one, she clearly knew that every Survivor had a merge feast. So just one more argument in the case that Stephanie is actually a closet huge super fan.
2: Or if it deals with food and survivors, Stephanie
0: knows about it. <laughs> yes. One of the two. It's uh, potato, potato.
2: Yeah. Now I have to, I do have to issue a correction here. I, I was wrong. The access of evil quote is in this episode, Jay. Uh-huh. Uh, this is, this is where Rafe is, you know, all of Yish- the Nakums are eating honey out of their hands and, you know, complaining about the Ashahs. And this is when Rafe has his kind of come to Jesus moment about him being like, I don't like the attitude my alliance is taking. Uh, Am I a member of the Axis of Evil? Uh, bashing people to promote group unity is not a pretty way to play this game. And I mean, he's he's right to a, a certain extent, I would say.
0: No, he's right. He's uh, kind of the voice of the audience at this point, because you're really meant to be voting for the old Yashas, or the new yashah tribe, the Bobby Johns and the Brandons of the world. Just so, that's the thing. He is the voice of the audience. He's kind of thinking just again i know rafe i know what a big fan he was of the show how much he knew about the show he's clearly thinking of storyline at this point what's going to make a better episode so even though he's having he's not sure if he's going to go which side at the time he's clearly going to mention it just because he knows it's going to make the episode and it'll it'll create a little dramatic tension so it's just one of those things that's something a super fan would do
2: yeah Though i mean theoretically if you'd rather you know go to the end with a group of nice, likable people, or a group of really, really unlikable people among them, like a returning player that nobody would vote for. Strategically, you'd probably go for the latter, but TV-wise, you probably go for the former.
0: Yeah, and I have to bring this up, and I know, again, I'm kind of friends with Rafe, so uh, people will accuse me of just trying to build up his side, but it's interesting to watch Rafe on this show, because he's so not a stereotype of what the kind of characters they usually cast on Survivor. In a way, it kind of makes them hard to define. They have a hard time with them in the, on the show. But, you know, usually when they cast the young super fan, the guy who knows every episode of Survivor, the young gay guy, they're usually kind of like the snippy one, the bitchy one, who does all the confessionals that are funny and cuts people down. But Rafe doesn't do that ever. Like, he's always very concerned with hurting people's feelings. He wants people to be nice. He doesn't want to be with the mean ones. So it's really interesting. He doesn't really fit Survivor stereotypes. So it's, it's something I, I kind of noticed on this latest watch. It's hard to define... Him as a survivor character.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I would I would argue that he's maybe one of the most sympathetic gay characters of the first you know ten plus seasons, and just the the way he's portrayed and how, especially in this in this scene and the next couple of episodes, how he's really being voiced as like the voice of reason and this this person who kind of got in over his head with his alliance.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because then you remember he's a gay Mormon, which is just an odd little dichotomy. So it's just how much of that is like the the religion thing, the Mormon thing going on. It's just he's just an interesting character, I think. And again, I don't think he's that fun to watch. He's just interesting in that it's hard to define him.
2: Yeah. So, uh, and actually, and you know, here on the boat as well, we, we get some more Bobby John throwing Stephanie under the bus as well when he talks about, like, you know, how much Stephanie complains and Bobby John snipes at, like, I don't
0: know what she was expecting from Survivor. <laughs> uh, it, is this the first time Stephanie has ever been in power? Ever? Of anything? Um, I mean, I'm trying to think from, of like,
2: Aside from the day one alliance in Palau.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because someone once mentioned that, you know, Stephanie in power... It's a lot like Boston Rob where they're when they're in power they're insufferable to watch. You hate them, but when they're underdogs they're much more fun to watch. And I kind of wrote that in my notes as I'm watching. Is this the first time Stephanie has ever been in power?
2: Yeah, um, and I I think I mentioned this earlier that like it makes sense that, you know, you're you're you want to excuse her more complain you want to excuse excuse her complaining more when she's in an underdog position cuz you're like you're right Stephanie, your position sucks. But when she's complaining and she's in a position of power, that doesn't come off well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, cuz she complains a lot. I mean, I would argue that she was in power a lot of the time uh, during uh, Survivor Palau, but, you know, it's the fact that Ulan kept losing, but did you ever really get the feeling that she was going to go home in any of those votes?
0: Yeah. No, I guess yeah. the way to describe it is not so much she's in power, but she's a favorite to win now. She was never a favorite to win in Palau, but now she's, like, in a position to win the game.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting. I think after watching these scenes, I, looked, I thought back on Survivor Palau and, like, I don't know. I, 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 I do feel like Bobby John really like kept Stephanie around more so because of her strength in challenges. Like I feel like if it wasn't an Oolong type of thing where they were getting eliminated one by one, they lost like a few challenges here and there. I feel like Stephanie would have been gone like after Angie maybe because I think Bobby John was a lot tighter with people like James and Ibrahim but they had to keep Stephanie around because she was so strong in challenges and there were so many challenges that went men versus men and women versus women that they had to have somebody to throw in there that they knew could get points for the for Oolong so it turns out that uh, you know I think Mario you asked the question or Jay you asked the question before of like you know if they put the croc if the crock pool was out there the, the swimming pool why did not they just stay out there all day but I guess they the producer's put less of an incentive for them during the merge camp because yeah, they like, put that swim so- cage like it's like 20 feet out into the water
0: <laughs> yes
1: yeah, and then they they mentioned it. it's really funny because you know i was thinking about that when when they merge in the middle of the night and jeff's like all your rewards will be over at the other camp and i'm like okay so they're gonna move the croc the, the the croc cage over to the new camp and then they they show it and it's like way out in the middle of the lake
0: and i'm <laughs> like oh that sucks yeah Yes, you can. You can use your croc-proof po- uh, cage, but you have to cross the croc-infested waters to get there. So, <laughs> godspeed.
2: <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, okay. Now that, congratulations, you made it. You've risked your life to make it through croc-proof waters. Enjoy this swimming pool where crocs will also swim around you, but they <laughs> won't get directly to you.
0: Yeah. So they'll just wait for you to leave the pool afterwards.
2: <laughs> Uh, so the treat mail comes, and it comes with a bunch of like practice pillows and posties for the challenge. And it takes a grand total of, I think, what, 10 seconds before the first pothead joke is made with this group of people? Brandon, I think, for the record, makes the first one. Yeah. Now, who knows? Maybe he's, he's growing more than wheat on his farm in Kansas. <laughs> he does seem pretty mellow. That's very true. Uh, so, but let's, uh, let's not bury the lead here. Let's get to the challenge. And this is, again, another interesting one. Uh, this is a feast or compete challenge. I'm trying to remember if this is the first one that we've seen of this iteration. I think we'll see a lot more going forward, but I can't remember for the life of me if there were actual challenges where it was like, okay, you can either compete or you can sit out and eat before.
0: This might be the first, but I don't want to say for sure because some survivor nerd that knows more than me is going to jump all over me if I say that. I I think it's the first, but I don't know. I do want to say I love this.
1: I mean, I, this is part of this whole, this is a, a divisive merge. Like, I think that this is fantastic, the fact that they didn't give them the merge feast, and then they have the merge feast of the challenge, and it's like, okay, you can eat, but then you can't compete in the challenge. And clearly, you know, this is, this is set up to where people that are in the majority alliance probably are going to eat, and people that are, you know, so basically the old Yashas are probably not going to eat food because they absolutely need to win immunity. But at the same time, I think it's fun to create that sort of tension.
2: So nope, now, I agree, yeah. Do you, do you guys think, you know, we always have to have our tinfoil hats on, do you think production had this twist set up from the beginning, or do you think they threw it in there knowing that the Ashahs would be down and that this would possibly be a way to kind of like stir up tension amongst the majority alliance?
0: I think it's just another variant of the coconut chop for the most part. It's meant to point out who the leaders are at the majority of alliance because they're clearly just going to eat. So I don't know if they'd specifically planned it, but it's one of those things they were sitting on. And when you have a situation where you kind of want to save these sympathetic underdogs and knock off these cocky, you know, the majority, this is one of those easy challenges you can throw in there just like in Marquesas.
2: Yeah. So there's uh, a fun little moment here before the challenge starts where, you know, Jeff's asking his usual questions, which he does a little bit more of this season I'm noticing. Uh, And, you know, Jamie brings up again that (laughs) the shots slept outside and Bobby John takes that moment to just, hawk a big loogie onto the ground right after
0: Jamie speaks. <laughs> yes, that's a southern thing. That's, uh, that's how I voice my displeasure. I will spit. It's no snot rocket, but it'll have to do. <laughs> Although, now, since we're talking nasally Stephanie moments, uh, right when they come in and they see the food, the very first thing you hear is Stephanie, Oh my god.
2: And we'll get that for a few more. We'll get that during the Idol play. We'll get that during a lot of moments this season.
1: Not only Oh My God during the Idol play, but then Gary.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Gary, oh my God. It's like Janice from Friends. I was going to say, she becomes Karen almost. (laughs) Uh, Don't bring her up. Uh, So, yeah, so Rafe, Jamie, Stephanie, and Lydia all decide to opt out of this challenge. But the big person who makes a big effect on opting
0: out of this challenge is Jamie, because he will not shut up. Oh, yeah, this is a, yeah, this is uh, one of the biggest Jamie dick moments, which is funny. He has so many dick moments you have to debate which is the biggest. This is one of the bigger ones.
2: Yeah, so to contextualize the challenge a little bit, those that are left to compete, which are basically all the Yashas plus Judd and Cindy, uh, for the first part of the challenge, you have to hold the pot on your head uh, for an hour, and this is kind of like that second immunity challenge where, like, you know, they they set something up for the first round that you know that at least two people are going to do. Uh, so then they go to a tiebreaker round where basically it's a race to balance a pot on your head and make it to the top of a pyramid. But the main uh the main fireworks of this challenge comes when you know even though Jamie's eating and they're all digging into a feast, he just he keeps spouting his mouth off, and him and Bobby John have a have a war of words. If you call it a war of words.
0: Yes. This is one of my favorite Bobby John quotes where Jamie, you know, Jamie's just taunting Bobby John poor Bobby John standing there. He's defenseless. He's balancing a pot on his head, trying to concentrate. Jamie's just browbeating him the whole time. Like, Hey, how's it going over there, Bobby John? And then they, they just start bickering. And then, uh, Jamie's like, or what is it? Jamie says, why are you saying you're part of our tribe? And Bobby John says, cause I can, and I will, and I won't to. Yeah. It's, it's the, <laughs> You know, he says, we're one tribe. And he says, you know we're not one tribe, Bobby John. Why are you saying that? Yeah, because I can and I will and I won't to.
2: Yeah, and then like Jeff presses Jamie about it further, and Jamie just blatantly admits, like, oh, yeah, no, they're, uh, they're, it's by tribal lines.
0: Yeah. Here's another good Bobby John quote. I ain't going to let you big boy me. <laughs> so big boy, that's a verb. Does he, has he, uh, does he enjoy that burger chain? <laughs> yes, he does. It's all about the big boy.
1: I've never really identified with someone on Survivor more than I identify with Rafe in this scene.
0: Yeah. Because
1: this is something that I would do. I am a very I am very cognizant of uncomfortableness and stuff like that. I mean, I am I am classically I mean, it's very weird. I've I've been in a lot of plays and I've 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 acted on stage, you know, plenty of times where I've been a character that I, i've been villains i've been good guys i've been things all across the net. but if i'm watching a show or a play where someone is being unpleasant and uncomfortably unpleasant i get fidgety like i sometimes i have to get up and walk around and stuff like that like i just can't handle that sort of uncomfortable tension that's something that i really don't deal with very well and it's just the fact that like jamie is just grilling into bobby john during this feast. and i mean rafe is just looking at him like Maybe we can be quiet and enjoy the feast on our own. We don't need to say things out loud. We, don't, we really don't have to do that. I'm just sitting there going, like, I feel you. I, uh, that is exactly what I would be doing. And I'd be, I would very meekly be saying to the person, like, maybe you could be quiet. Maybe we could all just just enjoy this in peace and they can do their challenge.
2: Yeah, the weird thing is that it seems like he's, he's, since he's saying it so quiet. He, Stephanie is the only, the only one that, like, hears him and converses with him. But Rafe looks, like, genuinely emotional during yeah. this scene. Like, he seems very disturbed by it.
0: Yeah. And again, it just, uh, just to point out that Rafe isn't your stereotypically the, the, uh, the Survivor fan, super fan, bitchy, gay, young gay guy. He's like le- legitimately pained by this. He does not like hearing negativity.
1: No. And I mean, I, I've, I, very rarely, because I, I've never really aspired to be on Survivor. So I don't think a lot of times, like, what would I do if I were in that situation? Because the answer is, I don't rightly know. I would probably be very terrible at Survivor, to tell you guys the honest truth. But I do know that if I were in that scene, I would be acting exactly like Rafe. I would be like, Jamie, can you be quiet? Can we just enjoy our food? We don't, we don't need to say anything. And the thing is, is that I'm pretty sure that I would get absolutely nowhere with him with it. Like, yeah. you'd just look at me and go, shut up, man. Just eat the food. And I'd be like, okay, all right. It's,
2: it's, it's tough, too, because only a week ago... Rafe saw someone like Judd just, like, go off at someone trying to challenge him. And so I think he's still kind of affected by Judd steamrolling off all all over the rest of the tribe that he doesn't want to cajole Jamie in the same way.
0: Yeah. Jamie absolutely is one of the biggest assholes I've ever seen on Survivor in this scene. And that's not a judgment against him as a person. Just in this scene, this is one of the biggest asshole moments I've ever seen on Survivor.
2: Yep. So uh, Danny is the only one whose pot really drops. So they the, uh, you know, the anticlimactically go to the final challenge and Gary just kind of smokes them all and he wins immunity. So it's pretty much, you know, set that Brandon's going to go home. But we still get some, some fun stuff back at camp where <laughs> Jamie pissed off a person with his actions uh, in the challenge. Can we guess who the person he most likely pissed off
0: was? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this is where Judd is not actually rubbing his back trying to calm him down. No, surprisingly, this is when he berates his sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> so when Judd tells you to watch your mouth and think before you speak, you know you've crossed the line.
1: Yeah, that, that's like the ironic thing that's funny to me is that Judd just looking at me and he's like, Jamie, man, he really just needs to quiet down, man. He just says some things and it's an outburst. And, it's no, and you're sitting there going like, if Judd is telling you that you are annoying, that's something.
2: Yep, and this is when we start getting into... Uh, Rory Freeman part two classless conversation here uh, where we'll get a more tribal council but I, I think Cindy's actually the one, the first one to say that Jamie does not have any class
1: okay um, I'm. Uh, this is about the time for me to admit it I'm going to admit it to you guys right now I said before that, you know, in more modern seasons of Survivor I don't really root for people. It happens every once in a while, but you know, I was very much rooting for people. I was a Cindy fan watching this the first time. Mm-hmm. And usually when I do the rewatches for Survivor historians, I remember who I was a fan of and and sometimes I just kind of look at it sort of, you know, in the, in this retrospective of like, oh yeah, I was a fan of that person. I'm watching these episodes, I still root for Cindy. I love Cindy. I don't know why. I just do. And so like the fact that, you know, you know, sort of at this tribal council when they're talking, because like Judd's like, I competed in the challenge, and you know, then Jamie's just like, you know, props to Judd for competing in the challenge, and you know, of Cindy's like, I'm here, I competed.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. I, I think Cindy gets left out a lot, and we'll see it fast forwarding a lot. We'll see it in the Judd boot episode where like she's is for some reason not told at all mm-hmm. about why about Judd getting booted, and she feels really left out by it, but yeah, Cindy has this and I'm, maybe Rave can give us more insight as the game progresses, but Cindy it's, it's, we see some confessionals from her, but her position in the game is very hard to grasp specifically in this six, I don't know where she fell in this six, considering that you know, after episode four, she was in the minority, she did vote against Lydia but she's still able to get adopted into this six so it's, I, I, I always wanted to know what her position was at this point in the game
0: Yeah, it's funny. People always say that Lydia was under edited and underutilized in the narrative, but Cindy is just as bad. You have no idea what's going on with her. A lot, you even kind of forget she's there.
2: Yeah. Aside from you know regaling Judd with stories about crocodiles. (laughs) Yes. Well, he just misses his brother. (laughs) So uh, this is you know we get our typical pre tribal council distraction stuff of. Uh, you know, the the Yashas are, I think, trying to convince Rafe and, you know, possibly Stephanie to turn on them and vote for Jamie because he's annoying and, uh, you know, Rafe has his whole confessional about sleeping with the devil, which I think more, makes more sense with your theory, Mario, about him knowing that he wanted to provide good sound bites about being the good person in an alliance of bad people. But we get this really funny scene and it seems like for the next few episodes it's all gonna be about pushing jamie's buttons or jamie just being so crazy that he's mishearing everything and this is where you know jamie tells brandon that he's he's gonna vote him out and then you know bobby john rebuts it like oh no i'm gonna vote people out because of character not for their athletic ability and then there's like this weird argument where like bobby john is affirming that he is in danger but Jamie's saying that he's not and it's this just a really weird argument where they're just arguing for the sake of arguing
0: yeah I don't I didn't even write that one down on my notes I wrote more about the Gary one in the next episode yeah, no, yeah, it's it's, just, there's a lot of weird stuff going on at the end of this episode
1: yeah and it, cause Jamie is just again trying to like lord over power and he's talking with Bobby John he's just like well calm down Bobby John you're not, you're not going home it's Brandon that's going home and Bobby John's like well I, I, I'm in trouble too and he's like well you, you're not really You know, And and Bobby John's like, no, I'm in trouble too. And Jamie's like, are you deaf? I am telling you who is going home.
0: Yeah, there's just a lot of weird... I mean, this whole episode has a big setup, like Jamie's going to have this big fall. And it's one of those things that they can kind of get away with from a narrative because you don't know who has the idol. They specifically won't show you who has the idol or if anybody found it yet. But if you watch this episode in a vacuum, it seems like Jamie's about to have a big downfall. And I remember at the time watching this just feeling it was kind of a cruel misdirection. Like, you really do want Jamie to go home in this episode because he's such a dick, and they make it look like either Rafe's going to turn on him or Brandon's going to find the idol or Bobby John's going to do something, and then nothing ends up happening at the end. It's kind of a cruel way to, to mess with the audience, I think.
2: Yeah, it's it's strange, and I get that a lot of days, especially in Modern Survivor, it's all about that that formulaic, like, let's give a misdirect boot just to make the audience tune in, but this, it seems... It's weird. They're still experimenting with that format and they're really hammering at home. Like, you know, they're talking to Cindy, they're talking to Rafe, and like they're really saying, Oh, well, this plan could actually work, but we'll we'll see that it won't. But let's let's go to tribal council because this is yet another this is you know, this is the first time we'll have Bobby John and Jamie on the same tribe for a tribal council, and it is (laughs) fantastic.
0: I forget if I did an entire entry about this on the funny one fifteen or if I just referenced it later. But this is where Bobby John channels Napoleon Dynamite. Just shut up, man. I mean, God. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute, dead on perfect Napoleon dynamite impression. So just watch this scene where, yeah, where Jamie and Bobby John are kind of going out, and Bobby John gets so frustrated, he turns to the side and says, Gosh.
2: Um, I also love, too, that, like, uh, there's, there's this argument, you know. So basically, Bobby John and Jamie are arguing over the fact that Bobby John claims that Jamie has no class, and Jamie takes this as the greatest defense ever and starts arguing with him. Uh, and Bobby John, I think, brings up this whole thing about, like, you know, I have class. I In the double tribal council, I didn't ask for immunity when I knew Brian was going home. And I love that he brings up the evidence point of, like, I didn't do it. Jeff was right there. I didn't do it. It's like, what is Jeff going to be, like, the star witness in your case here of, <laughs> like, I, t- t- trust me, Jeff was here. Jeff, did I ask for immunity at that tribal council? He was, I think he was, like, one second away from actually asking Jeff if, uh, if he did it.
0: All I remember about this argument is Bobby John and Jamie are just going at it, going at it. And they cut to Jeff Probes just slowly shaking his head in sadness, like, oh, I have to deal with this again. It's just a funny little Probes moment.
2: And Steph saying, stop it, stop yeah. it, stop it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is so uh, we talked about the Cindy moment that happens before where it's it's like a surprising. Con, uh, cognizant moment from cindy that we you know we don't we see glimpses of her where she talks about like you know i want i competed in the challenge because i wanted the experience i could eat at home but you know my alliance was backing judd the entire time we forgot to talk about this but in the challenge jamie all jamie was talking about was like go judd you know judd you're doing great and like cindy's over there in the corner like <laughs> doing you know being not being even noticed by anybody uh <laughs> So it, it's it's not not a good feeling for Cindy. But, you know, this is uh, as much as the producers try editors tried to play it up. It's a pretty open and shut case. Yashas vote for Jamie. Nakum's vote for Brandon.
0: That sucks. I hate losing Brandon. Even I hated it watching it as I mean, today while watching it, I hated it as much as I did when I first saw it 10 years ago. It's just Brandon was a great character. Again, I watched his early show on the DVD. He's just fantastic. He's a great interview. He's really funny. He's charming. He's like, very much like Colby in season two. They kind of remind me of each other. They just had that gleam in their eye. They're a little smarter than you think they'd be, but they're still kind of a down-home like, farm guy or a, or a car guy. Colby's a cowboy. So, and I, just, I, just, I just compare them a lot, Colby and Brandon. It was just a, It's a killer losing him in such an inconsequential moment in the middle of the season here. It just sucked
2: yeah well especially compared to jamie who like considering you're like okay it's gonna be brandon or it's gonna be jamie this huge jackass that has been pumped up of like being a horrible person this entire episode it's a huge letdown to see him go i agree with you that like again he's a fantastic character i think we saw a few moments where he wasn't the best strategist the blake vote being the main example but it seemed like he had a reasonably good head on his shoulders and i mean i don't I don't know if he would have, you know, if, if the Yashas had turned it around and made it to the end game, if he would have won, uh, just because I think everyone was cognizant of the fact that he was so likable. I don't think they would take him to the end, but he's, he's a lot of fun to watch.
0: He is, and he seemed like he appreciated every single moment out there. He never complained. That's what That's I like very about true. Brandon.
2: Very right. true.
1: My closing arguments on Brandon. Um, I mean, if you're talking about, like, Ashby line potential and stuff like that, I think that if you stick Brandon on any season of survivor he is going to make the season better you know in in however many days that he lasts out there brandon is is you know great on camera he has natural gifts in this game i think that he's an asset to most tribes that he's on um yeah as we saw he cuts a good interview he has a great uh, sense of humor and, and great lines and stuff like that. And I mean, I, I think I said antisocial and stuff like that. But here's the thing about Brandon is I don't think that his strat- st- strategy is like super good. He ingratiates himself with people well. But here it is, I don't know what he could have done in this vote to necessarily save himself. I'm not mm-hmm. giving him, I'm not giving him negative points because he didn't save himself in this vote. I think that he was pretty doomed. But at the same time. I never got the sense that he could fight himself out of it. You know what I mean? Or
0: or even wanted to.
1: Yeah, you know, there are people like, you know, Danny, even in in this thing. Like, when the chips are down on Danny, Danny's going to try to find some inroads. You know, like, there are characters that will fight themselves out of a corner. Sometimes they're successful. Sometimes they're not. You know, it's it's, it's not for the fact that, well, this person was successful, so they're good, and this person wasn't successful, and they weren't good. But it's like, I don't get the feeling that Brandon can, like, negotiate himself in and out of alliances. You know, he never really had to do it in this game very much. Like, he fell into a good group, then things got switched around, and then even he saw some writing on the wall, he still stuck with some loyalty things. And then he was sort of doomed in this episode, and I think he sort of knew it. And, you know, maybe he was out there scrambling and, you know, they didn't show us. I'm, I'm perfectly willing to concede that point. But yet from all that they showed us, I'm basically going out on a limb and saying, I don't think Brandon has that ability to, you know, forcibly change things in the game. And that's not necessarily good or bad quality. You don't necessarily have to. But in this case, he had to and he didn't. And I, I don't get the feeling that he could have.
0: And I will back that up by saying, on, uh, again, on the DVD, they have his early show interview, and he that's exactly what he says, that you come to a certain point in the game when you realize some people will do certain things to survive out here, and others won't. And I was just one of those who won't. I won't cross certain lines to, to get further in the game. So, yeah, he backs up exactly what you said. I, like yeah, he, that. He, I don't think it's a character flaw. I don't think it's anything. It's just who he is.
2: Yeah, he even says that in Episode 7, I think, before the Amy vote. He compares it to, like, selling his soul to the devil, so, the, you know, I think you said it well, Jay, in the, in the last podcast when you said, like Ian, he's perfectly made for the game of Survivor in terms of he's great to live in the conditions and he's, he's athletic and he's, he's great in the challenges, he's great at camp, but some aspects of the game just don't work with his way of living, and this is one of them. Uh, so, farewell, Brandon. We hardly knew you. He finishes in the Bobby John spot of one spot from making the jury, uh, but we... We have, uh, we have more to talk about as Jamie is very, very, very angry at what happened to Tribal
0: Council. Well, it's funny that he's not even so much angry as he is hurt. Like, they really hurt his feelings. They said he had no class, and Jamie is, like, destroyed by that, that someone if, would say he has no class. If He compares it to being called white trash. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who would call him that?
1: Well, what I love is, I mean, it's the whole thing with Jamie is that, you know, he was— I think he just got himself in a weird headspace. And what I love about, like, Jamie and Bobby John is, like, they're two sides of the same coin. We sort of see this just from the way that they are celebrating and going at each other and stuff like that. And I just love this, the scene in the next episode where they're basically, you know, hashing things out or on the fire afterwards. But it's like, Jamie's just like, what are you talking about? I have class. And Bobby John's like, "Well, sir, you did these things here. And what am I supposed to think? You know. And Jamie's like, oh, yeah. All right, yeah, okay.
2: Yeah, again, this is a weird... This episode especially is shows the the bipolar aspects of Jamie's edit in terms of we'll get his hero aspect with him giving up the reward, but then it'll immediately flip to being talking about how paranoid he is.
0: So like yeah. that represents the whole spectrum of what Jamie comes across in this season. Yeah, this is the second Jamie redemption episode of the season and the third Jamie downfall episode of yeah. the season.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so weird. I, I love the, the, fact, the I love the fact that the person that basically talks him down is Bobby John.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I love that too. It's like, hey, person I just argue with, you need to calm me down.
1: <laughs> Soon they go, but you know, they I, again, two sides of the same coin, and the, it's the fact that you know they they sort of make up, and and Jamie sort of realizes that, yeah, may, maybe maybe some of the stuff I did wasn't so great.
0: It, I just th- again when I watched the season and when I first saw it in two thousand five, I think it's, I remember thinking Jamie is the most interesting character in this entire season because he's just all over the place. He's got depth. He's got goods, bads. He's just He's got a very deep character, and it goes all over the place. And and I really thought that again watching it today. Like, Jamie really is integral to these middle episodes, and you kind of forget that if you haven't watched Guatemala in a while.
2: Yeah, I would argue, actually, that this middle streak of episodes, I'll say from episodes, like, 6 to 10, are really the Bobby, John, and Jamie episodes. I feel like nearly every scene involves them. Maybe bits and pieces of, like, Gary and Stephanie and Judd, but really it is, like, all about the two of them for one scene or another.
1: He's interesting, and, I, you know, he, he falls to me under interesting from a character standpoint. Again, he is demonstrating over and over again how terribly he is at Survivor. So, you know, there's that aspect. But yes, I mean, he is all over the map.
2: So before we cut to the reward challenge, uh, there's this one Gary confessional that I don't know if you guys talked about, Mr. Busta Wedge, that, you know, talks has some football knowledge here, but he talks about uh, this game that he apparently played against Detroit where he said he threw what three hundred yards in one quarter to win a game. Yeah, let's
1: look that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm gonna mute myself and look up the stats. I am gonna say this though, it's 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 very ironic. I I, I live in Michigan, I, I root for the Detroit Lions. It's it's very funny that even in this thing where Gary Hogaboom talks about how, you know, the one game where he like did, you know, just ungodly things on the football field was against the Detroit Lions. That's funny to me. <laughs>
0: yeah it's like the yeah exactly they're they're you know, like they're like the cubs of football you know what gary hogeboom did he big boyed them
2: <laughs> i was gonna say I, I i don't think amy would be able to look up those statistics
0: online <laughs> yes yeah so let's go jay go look up if it get mr gary hawkins indeed threw for 300 yards in one half and if you do i'll beat my stepchild so uh, moving on
2: to the reward challenge, this is uh, one of those, you know, back in the day they were still doing these kind of ancient weapons episodes, and we, we talked about the throwing clubs that they used in episode four, and this episode is called Atlatl, I think it's called. Atlatl, uh, Atlatl, Atlal
0: Or something like that. I don't know how to spell it. Jay can look that up too while he's, while he's it's, off it's, doing it's, uh, re- it's, records. It's Atlatl. It's
1: A-T-L-A-T-L, basically. it's at-l- It looks like Atlatl. Okay. That's
0: why I read it phonetically. Yeah, but it's Atlatl. <laughs> Is that an actual Mayan weapon, or they just make that up?
1: That's that's a, that's a Mesoamerican weapon. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, it, right. it
0: looks like basically a, a, a like a hand version of a
2: crossbow, almost in terms of like it was a more powerful way to throw an arrow. Yeah.
1: Uh,
2: so I guess so. It's, you know they basically the contest is uh, it's kind of like the boomerang contest in Australia of like just throw it as close to the target as you can, and the reward is again I'll use the term interesting. Uh, this is a takeoff on the the all-stars reward challenge that rupert run where like one person each person get everyone eats but each person gets a different meal but for some reason this one it's not that the winner decides who gets what it's just determined by placement
0: yes which is interesting it's kind of cool i like it i mean it's something different
2: yeah, definitely something different, and we'll get uh parts of this in like future challenges. Like in Cook Islands, there's one where like the top three finishers win. Same thing happened with the challenge of Vanuatu. I like those sometimes, but again, if they're trying to, you know, producers want to do a coconut chop thing and try to expose alliances, it it, it doesn't help to kind of take the power out of those hands. And I mean, with someone like Judd in power, I could I could only imagine the mistakes he would have made in <laughs> like d- in dallying out all these meals.
0: Yeah, although, to be fair, remember, he gets to name two people to sit with him at the table later.
2: Very true, very true. So, uh, you know, this this challenge, again, is pretty mundane. Judd's the first to go to set the watermark, but he actually ends up winning it. Uh, and basically the only other main aspect of this challenge is Jamie ends up finishing in fourth. He's the last to go, but then he decides to fall on his sword and purposely fall to ninth place to bump everyone up a spot uh, as he attributes it to the way he was behaving the previous day
0: i always thought that was a cool moment i know a lot of people will kind of question his motives i was i didn't really see any any ulterior motives with jamie i just think he did feel bad and he's going through one of his spazzy little bipolar moments where he feels all guilty and sad so yeah i just thought it was kind of a cool little thing to do and this is again the second jamie redemption episode of the season
2: Yeah, I would say that, I mean, Jamie talks a lot about playing the game. The thing is that, like, I feel like Jamie doesn't really, and we'll see this being brought up at the end of this episode, the whole concept of lying. Jamie really hasn't lied at all. So for someone who talks so much about, like, playing the game, he doesn't really do a lot of the deceptive aspects of it, which I, I agree with you, Mario. It makes me think, like, I don't think he had any sort of ulterior motives here i mean this isn't a sort of like san juan del sur type of thing where people are giving rewards to other people to to make good inroads with them i think he genuinely was racked with guilt especially with the whole classless stuff that got brought up and obviously how much that hit home to him and he thought how can i make this up let me give up my reward to everybody and i mean everyone is genuinely touched which is which is nice usually you get those confessionals of people that are like uh i think don't think jamie meant it but i think everyone was like Good on you, Jamie, which is good until he, again, five minutes later, becomes paranoid and loses all that credibility.
0: Yeah, and it's funny that a lot of people, I think, forget that Jamie is really the villain of the season. A lot of people remember Judd or Stephanie being the villains, but Jamie is really the main, anta- main antagonist here through the middle episodes. And villains normally don't have scenes like this. Like Johnny Fairplay never had a scene like this.
2: No, so it's just I, again,
0: it's, it's just hard to classify Jamie. I, I just find him interesting, and I again I will reiterate, I think he's the most interesting character in this season.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like for what it's worth, Bobby John reaches out and shakes his hand, and Rave talks about how much he approves of his actions, which is significant considering that like Rave has a bunch of key confessionals in the past couple of episodes about like you know Jamie has this immature way of playing the game. I'm going to change it for him. Uh, so you think that they're not going to target him? For now but they, they immediately go into this big i guess authentically maya hut who knows uh, <laughs> there's some these,
0: authentic mayan beagles yes yeah, some, some like random homeless <laughs> dogs i'm not sure you know what's funny is i have a puggle who's half beagle half pug and beagles are notorious for being chowhounds all they care about is food like They have no interest in you as a human. They just want your food. So I'm watching that scene. They're all sitting there with food, and these beagles are just walking through, not interested in the food. I'm like, how high are those dogs? How many drugs do they pump those dogs full of so they wouldn't lunge? Like, my dog would cut my throat for like a pumpkin seed.
2: Do you think Judd would like punch a dog in the face if it tried to get in the way of his steak
0: and beer? I do. And I think that would have been a funny 115 number two right behind Dead Grandma. (laughs) Judd punches a dog in the (laughs) face. (laughs) Judd versus Beagle. (laughs)
2: uh that'd be great so uh judd gets to sit in like i think jeff calls it like the king's table which is you know it's a table with a big red tablecloth over it and he gets the steak and lobster and everyone gets you know their meals in decreasing value based on the order that they finish but as an extra twist uh jeff probst well first jeff probst has a nice little jeff probst dick moment when he taunts jamie uh when i think it's uh, Stephanie, who finishes it in fourth, gets the burger and beer, and Jeff's like, oh, Jamie, this is what you
0: would have gotten. You yeah. would have gotten this one, Jamie. This is, this is yours. It should have been yours. You know, they, they were dying to bring out some, like, southern food that Jamie loves. Oh, like fried chicken? Yeah, shrimp and grits. Oh, look at that. Number four, right from Georgia. <laughs>
2: oh, and look, it has a letter from home to Jamie. Oh, I guess he can't have it now. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's too bad Jay's on mute. He's missing all this awkward humor that he would be cognizant of because he's so cognizant of awkward humor. Oh, no, I'm I'm here. All right.
1: (laughs) I also love that, you know, like, they get... I think, what is Rafe's next or so, and Rafe basically just gets the, like, ham and cheese sandwich on, like, normal bread. And what's great is that I, I think that, you know, Rafe is you know, it's food, right? And I think Rafe is appreciative of that, and he's like, oh, ham and cheese, I can eat that, but like, still, he's just more like, no, I'm fine, this is fine, this is great, this is, this is really good, I, I like this. this, this this is fantastic. I mean, I would have picked this out of all the meals.
2: <laughs> yeah, I love those, and both this and the all-star challenge, i like, oh, no, I would have picked this. This okay. is fine,
1: <laughs> this is fine.
2: Um, And so, as an extra twist, Judd gets to pick two people to sit at sit with him at the king's table, and they get open bar and dessert, and he decides to pick the two returning players for uh, accepting him with arms wide open. He says, "So they all." He gets to sit at the table with these two previous survivor players, and they all split food. And especially Judd gets
0: very, very drunk. Classic Judd. I love I lo- that
2: he he orders like. A, like a vodka cranberry but with a lot of vodka and a little bit of cranberry <laughs> yeah.
0: in, in fact the cranberry juice you can just throw away like that's that's not necessary <laughs> if there's one thing we know about judd in any given scene he will get drunk
2: absolutely he's uh he's much, uh, i think we missed those scenes sorely since big tom was gone we got a little bit of tom and vanawatt and uh in palau but it's good to see it's good to see a big a big drunk back again on survivor <laughs>
1: Also, I didn't know that an open bar included cigars?
0: <laughs> yes. That's how, the Mayans uh, did. That's how the Mayans did it. <laughs> Authentically Maya Cuban cigars. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, so, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a scene here where, like, Gary is watching them with hungry eyes, but he kind of talks about it in a confessional how it's not his idea of fun to, like, get stupidly drunk cut to jud yeah. stumbling through the jungle on the way back to camp and then <laughs> uh, i think a slightly drunk bobby john as well gets this stupid idea to move a 30 foot log in the middle of the night <laughs> yeah
0: that's, it's a funny little character scene yeah i love that
1: it's also funny that cuz gary i mean obviously he might be a little hyperbolic but you know he says you know cuz cuz gary's staring at him and you know Judd's just like oh gary i can't look at you man you know and gary's just like oh i'm just watching you enjoy your food but then gary gives a confessional of Watching someone get drunk for two hours is not what I consider fun. And I don't know if it actually was two hours or if it was, you know, slightly less time, and Gary's exaggerating a little bit, but it sort of gives you the sort of the time frame of that dinner because it's like Gary got a slice of pizza and, you know, uh, Rafe got the ham and cheese sandwich, and Lydia got that one fish, and Jamie got the bowl of Ramon nuts. but you know it seemed like you know Judd had a lot of food, and he was splitting it with Stephanie, who got a burger, and you know Cindy had like that big plate of chicken and vegetables, and Danny got the big plate of spaghetti and meat sauce, but it's like other than them, like how fast did it take rafe did it take Rafe to eat that ham and cheese sandwich and 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 Gary to eat that slice of pizza? like I could totally identify with that where like he ate the food, and then it's like, okay, I'm done <laughs>
0: yep. Sit around for
2: two hours to watch Judd smoke a cigar and
0: kick around some dogs. Hey, no, we he didn't kick the dogs. We saw Bobby John petting the dogs. That's true. That's true. The dogs were perfectly fine. It would have been awesome had he punched the dog, though. It would have been like Blazing Saddles.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly, where the dog falls the wrong way.
0: <laughs> the mongo and the horse. <laughs> you know, Judd, Judd does, is kind of much the, pretty much the mongo of Survivor. So he kind
2: uh, of is. <laughs> uh, so... Speaking of Judd, uh so Judd will the next morning and you know, we, we talked a little bit about people getting drunk on Survivor or in Chad's case just having tripping on Kava. Uh, but I don't I don't know when was the last time someone flat out puked, uh, let alone puked right next to the shelter and Judd did just that.
1: I lo- I love that like they there's the whole camera thing where like they're like, Yeah, you puked in the shelter and he's just like, Nah man, I went all the way over to the ruins, man. They're like no,
0: it's a shelter, and then the camera pans. Like You're like, oh, okay. You know, Judd is like the Jackie Robinson of Survivor. He's breaking down barriers left and right.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, before they had their own league of survivors who <laughs> could throw up next to the shelter. But Judd, Judd's a, a rule breaker.
0: No, I like – there's a little comment in there where they said – Judd, you threw up in the shelter. He's like, nah, man, I just went over there and threw up in those runes. So I'm like, isn't that worse? Those are historic <laughs> runes, you fucker. Just imagine, like, the tour group that has to walk in their next. like, okay, these are the Nakum ruined, and oh my god. <laughs> Judd was here. He's written in, like, piss all over the wall. Like, thanks, Judd. Beer bottles everywhere.
1: <laughs> now I have this, like, vision of, like, tours going through, or like, they're filming Survivor, I'm like, don't mind those Americans. They're playing a game. <laughs>
0: You know, what's funny is Judd getting pissed drunk and then throwing up in the shelter is only the second most embarrassing thing he's going to do in this episode. (laughs) We got the idol clue coming up. Yeah,
2: I was just saying, it immediately segues into the most embarrassing thing he's going to do this episode, which is uh, uh, Judd, he revives pretty quickly. He got a clue from the idol directly at the feast yesterday, and he luckily did not throw up all over that. But he decides to go share it with Stephanie because, as he puts it, uh, when it comes to keeping secrets, man, you know I, I can't do it. So he, he shares the clue with Stephanie, which blatantly outlines it's not buried or on the ground. And Steph says, "Oh yeah, it's probably in a tree." And just says, "All right, I'm going to do some some recon, do a you know a big a big tribe meeting, and we're going to I'll I'll tell this idol clue out."
1: <laughs> hey man, I, I, I I'm not a bad sportsmanship. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you the clue, man it's uh it's it's definitely on the ground
0: man no, by far by far on the ground <laughs> totally on the ground, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> not in so many words
2: i want I wanted the clue to say it in that exact vernacular, like the clue is by far on the ground damn uh, yeah exactly oh yeah. uh, that's how uh, that's so amazing it gets even more amazing when when Gary quotes it after in a, in a couple of episodes. Uh, but oh, it's we, this we,
0: episode, isn't it? Uh, no, Matt it's Cameron. when, it's
2: when, it's when he brings up, uh, you know, when Gary Scorch Earth thing, when he talks, this is when, in his, in his boot episode, when he yes. talks about, here's a lie, hey guys, the idol's on the ground. All right. Uh, uh, so we cut to one of many Rafe-Jamie scenes we'll see for the next couple of episodes, the Mencala scenes, which I feel like, as Rafe will talk about this in the next episode, but it's a big, it's the place where him and, like when Jamie said it's time to play Mencala, it's basically time for Jamie to make a faulty promise to Rafe and then have Rafe swear up and down the river that he's going to follow that promise and then Jamie talk about how he just doesn't want to go home and he doesn't want Rafe to boot him and then make the promise again, and then Rafe will promise again that he's making the deal, so it's these are, these are interesting scenes between two characters that we, we didn't see too much in the beginning.
0: And I guess we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jay was just sensing that awkwardness.
2: <laughs> uh, the, but we have another. This is, I mean, this is again Jamie's downward spiral. And this is, again, where we get another weird scene of Jamie arguing with someone over something that shouldn't be argued over. This is where, like, so I think I. I'm trying to follow the logic in this one. Gary says that he'll vote with them. Correct? That, that he knows Bobby John is going and he's going to vote with the Alliance. But Jamie takes it to mean that he's voting against
0: him. Is that oh, right? Yeah. What's funny is that they're having a direct conversation where they're the only two people talking. So there's no way to misinterpret what they're saying. And Gary says, I'll vote with you tonight. And Jamie goes to his alliance and says, yeah, Gary just told me he's going to vote for me tonight, which isn't even close to what Gary said. And so, yeah, it becomes this big thing or a crusade where Jamie's going to take Gary out tonight. Yeah, the problem with Jamie is that he also has a problem with recall. He does, especially when it happened 30 seconds before.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the worst part of it is like, granted, John misconstrued something that was said to him on day one. It was what, like day three. for fifteen or sixteen, when he says yeah. it to Margaret, but now, like this is Jamie. This is
0: something that happened that less than a minute ago, and Jamie's completely <laughs> mishearing everything. Yeah. Well, Stephanie has a great quote here that I'd completely forgotten about, where she's like, she's like, I'm like, Jamie, are you sure? Because sometimes Jamie is a little, and she makes a little crazy gesture with her finger, which always makes me laugh. Just that she's so matter of fact about it, because you know he's crazy.
1: Yeah, I think that Jamie just, you know, this this game is like a fishbowl. I mean, I can't totally imagine all of the pressure cooker that that this game is but it's like you know Rafe does have a uh, confessional at some point about this where like you know you can just go insane thinking about it all the time and and I think that Jamie just sort of went insane like he was in a decent position and then and then he and then he was just thinking a little bit more about it and then it's like you know things happen and 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 and, and and Jamie just can't handle it. And then, you know, things are good and, and Gary's like, I'm gonna vote with you tonight. And Jamie's like, Cool. Wait, what did he say? Did he say he was going against me? I think Gary's going against me. And and then he probably blew it out of proportion. And and that's just how, how it went. And
0: poor Jamie, he just he just it just got out of control on him. <laughs> yeah. The whole rest of the episode too, Jamie's still going off on this.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like, oh we gotta get And Jamie really is the one to to lead the charge to get rid of Gary. I mean I know uh, him winning immunity definitely helps, but the, but he's like he's leading this Gary charge over something he misheard. It's like a it's like a step above Shambo in terms of like reasons to vote somebody out. Yes. Uh, so let's cut to the immunity challenge here. This is a big balance one and this is the first of what we'll see of many versions of like you know the first four to finish move on to the next one and the first two to finish move on to the next one and i mean i think the only real highlight of this and dalton ross has claimed this is the only thing he likes about guatemala really is the final round when it's jamie versus rafe and rafe ends up going a full 180 into the water where he like tilts on the rope so far that he just dunks his head into the water and then falls in
0: and you know what's funny is that that's an entry on the funny 115, but I didn't want to put it on there. Rafe actually requested, because he loves that moment so much. He's like, please put that on. That's one of my favorites. Please put that on. So that was a favorite of Rafe that that got an entry. But yeah, it's it's a moment that almost everybody remembers about Rafe from this challenge, where he does the slow head-first dunk.
1: It's just good. I mean, you could see, like, Bobby John and whatnot, and they're just laughing at it in the background. It's just a funny visual. And you could even see afterwards, like uh, Jamie goes on for the win, and you could see Rafe, like, afterwards when everyone else is watching Jamie get his immunity necklace and like Rafe is just laughing his butt off too. So. Yep. Yep. So Jamie wins
2: immunity and apparently that squelches some plans that Stephanie and Rafe are having to possibly get rid of Jamie just because they were, he was annoying the crap out of them. Uh, but it looks like they're going to vote for Gary. Uh, though Bobby John tries to make a pitch to get rid of Stephanie to judd and jamie because uh they're gonna they're gonna claim for the next couple of episodes that rafe is stephanie's little lap dog uh they're gonna try to keep using that as a reason to get rid of her but i, I don't think bobby john knows how tight judd and Steph and jamie are but you know gary this is where we get the, the fantastic uh gary hawkins international spy scene where <laughs> judd is walking through the jungle and Gary is tailing him and because he knows he has the clue, and he notices that Judd is, uh, for, for the idol being by far on the ground, Judd is looking up into the trees a lot.
0: Yeah, that's a Gary quote. You know, if it's on the ground, why is he looking in trees? So he goes, I'm not going to be looking on the ground anymore.
2: <laughs> I love it. And I, I'll i say, I I really wish they did this more often with the hidden immunity idol to not show who found it. We'll see it one more yeah. time in Micronesia with Amanda, but other than that it's always been about like we know who has the idol I I just wish the editors did this more frequently not all the time maybe if it has like a significant effect on you know strategy and confessionals but it's nice sometimes to be genuinely surprised as to who has an idol much like the contestants are
1: and here's the thing I remember watching this live like after that scene and they showed you know because they had like a shot of like Stephanie and them going like oh if he finds it though I mean that's that's amazing you know because they were just thinking that no one's gonna find it you see that shot of Gary just walking and like in my head i'm like he has the idol he totally has it you know yeah. and and you know it was one of those where like it's not even like i'm really good at watching and paying attention but it was just the way you, at the momentum and everything going you're like he totally has it but they didn't show you you know yeah, it was just it was just a nice little thing going into the tribal council
0: i was going to say a lot of people remember seeing a scene where gary finds the idol but it's actually not in the episode that was only a secret scene that was shown on the early show and it's on the dvd and it was uh, on the cbs website i believe at the time but in the episode yeah indeed we never see gary find the idol you don't know he has it until tribal council when he plays it and we have we do have to say
2: uh, to all you russell hans fans out there russell hans was not the first person to find an immunity idol without a clue that would be one gary hogaboom
0: yeah you know I've heard that said before, but I do have to say Gary kind of had a clue in that he knew Judd was looking in a place where Judd had a clue. So while I like shitting on, on Russell as much as anybody, Gary kind of had a clue. I mean, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't disprove the fact that Russell sucks, and I, I'm still happy saying Gary was first, but Gary half, half had a clue. So
2: let's, uh, let's cut right to Tribal Council, and there's, there's really some unconse- unconsequential talk right now about, you know, who's been lying and who hasn't, but the real climactic moment here is, you know, if you had anyone has a hidden immunity idol and you want to play it, now would be the time to do so, and Gary pulls it out. Oh my god, Gary. (laughs) And
0: I love that Jeff immediately says, okay, don't talk, it's time to vote. Yeah, it's weird that you present it before the vote. Again, it's it's a very old school way of doing idols. Nowadays it would be you would present it after the vote has already been made.
2: Yeah, but I also love the fact that Jeff like immediately tells them to be quiet as like I feel like nowadays a Modern Survivor Jeff kind of encourages all those whispered conversations after big moves are made at tribal council. So uh, this is a nice like you know past Jeff versus present Jeff in terms of the way he runs tribal mm-hmm. council.
1: Uh, yeah. Totally agreed. You know and and Gary plays the idol and they go and Jeff says don't talk and as you can see Bobby John is swiftly voted out with a majority. So it doesn't really fool anyone which sort of shows you that not that not that I think that they thought that Gary had the idol, but you saw them have that conversation of what if what if Gary finds the idol? Oh my God, that'd be amazing. But you saw that they had a quick backup plan, which was if Gary has the idol, Bobby John, yeah, Bobby John. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, at least they had the conversation. We didn't see them have it, but you know they had it.
0: Well, yeah. But again, they're also up, what, six to two at the time or whatever. Oh yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. So and who I, else is... I mean, this way it would be much more exciting if Gary was the last one in the minority and then he played the idol. Then what happens? Right.
2: Yeah. And as a, a nice... Uh, perma conclusion to the jamie bobby john story before they both join the jury uh there's a fun moment where jamie ends up voting bobby john and he actually apologizes to bobby john for voting for him which like considering that we've our podcast has basically covered the the rise and fall of the bobby john jamie rivalry is a as a poignant moment
0: almost yeah no it's a really nice little moment and we're gonna see that their story actually has a really good arc later down the road when they're both on the jury but yeah it's it's a, one of those interesting uh, storylines that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It actually resolves itself. So it's 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 fortuitous for the producers that the whole thing kind of worked out and with a happy ending. I mean, happy not in the sense that Bobby John went out, but, like, Jamie is legitimately sad that he has to vote him out, which you never would have thought two episodes ago.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or even, like, two days ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Gary ca- ends up casting a throwaway vote for Cindy. I don't know if Rafe has any sort of context as to why that happened, but, you know... Uh, Danny and, and Bobby John vote for Stephanie and everyone else votes for Bobby John and Bobby John he lived his lifelong dream he is now on the jury
0: yes we can
2: yes we can do we, do we want to uh,
0: finish up by eulogizing Bobby John a little bit Bobby John 2.0 well the only thing I have to say about Bobby John is he the second person in Survivor history to be voted out twice in terms in of sa- of- well I guess Burton did it twice in one season but I guess that with all stars, you had a lot of people. So never mind. Burton's situation was different because he was twice in one season.
1: hmm.
0: Oh, uh, never mind. But Bobby Did John I... wasn't
1: even, I mean, he wasn't even technically voted out the first time. He lost oh. the challenge. Yeah. That's a good point.
2: It's like a, it's like a reverse Sue Hawker, Jenna Maraska in terms of he's played two times, but he's only been voted out once.
0: All right. Got it. But yeah. I but was, yeah, no, was going to say we eulogize Bobby John pretty well in Palau. I don't have. Much more to add other than saying he was fantastic as a character in Palau. He was fantastic as a character in Guatemala. He might have been even better in Guatemala. I can't say he's ever been a good player. But again, I don't give a rat's ass if a person was a good player as long as he entertained me. And Bobby John has always been one of the most entertaining in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I would say that I I personally enjoy Bobby John in Guatemala more. I think we get more colors of him than we did you know, in Palau, which is basically he is a workhorse and he it resembled a caveman at the end of his time and he was on a losing tribe. Uh, I feel like we got to see a little bit of strategy with him. We, we saw that in the Blake episode. We saw a little bit in the merge episode with him kind of throwing Brandon under the bus. He's one of those returning players that clearly learned a lot from his first experience and he was actually able to improve upon it this time. And I would argue that he's one of those few returning players whose reputation actually improved the second time around because he wasn't just this big workhorse he had a little bit of strategy to him as well
0: even though the first two episodes of guatemala he had a look on his face like he had to poop his pants yeah well i don't know why (laughs) i don't know why he looked so constipated like before the season
2: (laughs) technically he did almost die out there on the second day so
0: (laughs) you got anything jay rip and peppers bobby
1: john i will miss doing your accent
2: yeah, that's true. I think it's we're more eulogizing Jay's Bobby John voice, which we've been able to to use for the past two seasons, and now we will no longer use anymore. Because
0: it's, it's I really can sad. and I will and I want to.
1: Well, sir, it was fun making fun of your accent.
2: <laughs> yeah, so we'll we'll call it here. Uh, we're gonna next time we'll, we'll cover the rest of the season, and this is really when things will get interesting, and this is when we'll really get to see things more from Rafe's perspective, and this is when we'll see the rise of Danny and the fall of Stephanie kind of all in one sufficient arc.
0: Well, yeah, we have two amazing blindsides coming up with Jamie and Judd, who are two of the all-time best blindsides, I think, almost back-to-back. I forget if they're back-to-back or not, but they're coming up real quick.
1: I would contest Jamie's blindside, even though he says blindside, but Judd's,
0: absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nice! Blindside! That's how you do it. Yeah, and
2: we're and we're going to get a lot of great moments. We'll get the, what I talked about before with Gary's kind of scorch urge thing, talking about uh, Stephanie getting everyone getting, getting Stephanie's autograph after the show. We'll get uh, Cindy's the whole Cindy focused episode of the final five with Cindy and the car curse, uh, and, and we'll get a, we'll get a very interesting uh, finale where, you know, it seems like everyone almost throws their game away to Danny and it'll be really really interesting to talk about because Danny really hasn't she's done bits and pieces here but I feel like especially once Gary leaves will be really be her time to shine. Yep. All right. So, uh, we will see you guys again for the end of Guatemala as always. I'm Mike Bloom, I'm Mario Lanza, and I'm Jay Fisher. And uh, show some class guys. Show some class. I think Judd's high-strung, he's a lot like me, can't sit still, it's hard for me to When I first
0: his... walked into camp, she's telling me that I have ADD. That's how you approach me, that's what you like
1: to say. She comes to the camp, you have ADD, do you know that? When you first meet somebody, is that something nice to say? Is that a compliment? I have ADD?
2: The other problem with Judd is he has a problem with recall.